got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. You just remember what your old pal said, babe. You've got a friend in me. You're gonna see it's our destiny. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. Welcome to another episode of the Film 89 Podcast. I'm Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and tonight, sitting to my left, I'm joined by... Richard Roberts. It is a, it is a joy to be back. And the Dream Team. They're back together. I don't think we've been together since uh, Captain Marvel back in March because also joining us is... Hey, Podcats. Neil Gaskin. Good to be back at Three Kings. And this episode is not just three of us because we're joined by a very special guest. If you remember back last year, we held a contest over a few episodes, the prize for which was a guest host spot on this very podcast. And the winner of that contest was Chris Bynan. Chris, welcome to Film 89. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You were the winner of the contest. It was held over a couple of, uh, of, of issues. And the plan was that you were going to come on and talk about one of your favourite films for his 40th anniversary, which was going to be an episode about Alien. Yeah. Unfortunately, because um, the fact that certain plans we had have, have, have had to be put on the back burner, um, you've decided to sort of uh, gatecrash this episode where we're going to be talking about, well, there's not one, but two in-depth reviews tonight. It's going to be Pixar's, or Disney Pixar's, fourth film in their now 24-year-old saga of Toy Story, and Marvel Studios' second collaboration with Sony Pictures and the first MCU film post-Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man Far From Home. But before we start, guys, Chris, just um, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and you know, your, your sort of film likes and dislikes. And uh... um, my, well, I'll start with my favourite films. My favourite film is Alien and Aliens. I love a lot of the original Star Wars, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back. Um, also love films like The Blurbs and any kind of film that generates that kind of nostalgia I absolutely love about it. And you're actually wearing a, a USCSS Nostromo t-shirt as well. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, obviously you wanted to talk about Alien, but um, tonight we're going to be talking about Toy Story 4 and Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Are you a big MCU fan? I'd say yes. I'd say I'm not as in-depth as you guys, but I have pretty much seen everyone in the cinema, um, some more than, more than once or twice. But I'm really looking forward to discussing uh, what's coming up now. Starting with the first one. Um, we're going to split this episode right down the middle. First half is going to be all about Toy Story 4. I think, is this the first Disney Pixar film we've reviewed for the podcast? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It is, isn't it? We, we've done... Richie keeps proposing different titles, but we haven't been yes. doing them. Yes, um, obviously as soon as Frozen 2 comes out, Richie going to be all over that. Yeah. Well, I do that show on my own, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine, mate. That's fine. <laughs> going to have a competition for that one as well. I want to I jump yeah. in on a bit of that. Yeah. Let it go, Rich. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. So, uh, Toy Story, guys, 24 years old. It's, uh, you know, it's a franchise getting quite long in the tooth now for Disney Pixar. Uh, Neil, starting with you, did you see the original Toy Story in the cinema? I didn't see the original in the cinema, no. Um, I was, I think Toy Story 2 I saw in the cinema, and definitely Toy Story 3, because by that stage I had a little bundle of joy called Zach who wanted to watch everything uh, Toy Story related. Did. But uh, I watched those films ad nauseum because I had no choice because I had a child who would literally every day I had two options which were either Toy Story or Cars. Yes, <laughs> I've mentioned that before. <laughs> yeah, he's a massive Cars fan, wasn't he? When he, he was, was. little bless him. Uh, Chris, what about you? Huge Toy Story fan. One of my uh, early memories is going to see Toy Story in the cinema and just 
been blown away by the, I'm going to say, special effects, because as far as I can remember, there hadn't been a film as whole as CG created like yeah. that. Just fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it. I remember t- my grandmother taking me there. You went to see with it. your gran. Yeah, oh, I know. Oh, it's got him on. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't see it in the cinema, the first Toy Story, but I can remember the, I, discovering it via one of my mate's uh, little brothers. I had a video we saw in his house, um, and then instantly taken with it. Um, and then I think um, I was an adult with no children going to see Toy Story 2 in the cinema, completely unashamedly. M- mine was, <laughs> actually went, went into town one day with a mate, with a view, to going out for a couple of beers later on that evening. But, but we got into town, I think, early afternoon. It was about two o'clock. We thought, you know, let's go catch a film. That new film, Train Spotting, looks good, doesn't it? Oh. This was around about maybe April or May 1996. I had to go back and check on this, but looking on IMDb, Toy Story wasn't released in the UK until March of 2000. Oh, sorry, March of 1996. Obviously, it came out everywhere else, or America certainly in 1995. But we, me and my mate, had seen all the posters for for Train Spotting. You know, it looked great. It looked, you know, just up our street. I think I was like 18, 19 years old then. So the idea of going to see a kids film wasn't something I would have um, gravitated towards. But we went to town, and lo and behold, we got it completely wrong. Uh, Train Spotting wasn't until August of that year. This was, you know, a couple of months before. So we thought, oh, you know, we've got a couple of hours to kill. We actually ended up going to see Toy Story. Loved it. Thought it was absolutely great. Um, didn't see the second one in the cinema. As it turns out, the second one has become probably my favourite of the three. Fast forward to 2010, um, I ended up going to see uh, the third one with my wife. Didn't have any kids at the time. And yeah, we thoroughly enjoyed it. The bit of the end with the fire pit and then the subsequent ending. I got a little bit choked up. So what do we think then of the, of, of the films that followed? Two and three, I think two is arguably one of my is one of my favourite films. I think it just carries on the character progression so well, and the humour that follows it throughout is absolutely brilliant. Um, it's got those lovely jokes that seem to appeal to everyone. That uh, it can set one of those movies that can the kids can absolutely love, and the adults can totally understand as well. And that, for me, seeing it as like a family was amazing. I think it would definitely be the second one. You, I think it was on one of my lists, wasn't it? When we did, uh, we did yeah, sequels. we did animated. Yeah, oh, we did. We've done uh, trilogies, trilogies as yeah. well. Yeah, trilogies. Sequels, yeah. I think we talked about yeah. animated films. I think all of us have picked Toy Story two at some stage. Yeah, very rare. I think with Toy Story one, obviously, it was a sort of hell of a gamble. One that you know, could they pull it off type thing? And like the technology was just sort of coming into play, wasn't it? But could you make these characters sort of endearing and mm. sort of lovable? And they did that quite easily with the first one to repeat that and get like in the bottom one I'd say probably better it with Toy Story 2 oh, yeah. you know it's quite some feat indeed going on to the third one do we really need this? none of you us know? wanted it I remember no, you and me it. at the time talking about Toy Story 3 before it came out and saying ah oh, why are they bothering 2 ended so well and 2 is yeah 2 is my favourite I absolutely love it and I, I remember watching, you were saying about the effects and everything and it being sort of pioneering what have you, but I can remember watching, we've been on VHS, but I can remember watching the footage of the RC sort of uh, in the road when they're trying to catch trying to catch up with the, with the removal truck and thinking that it was actually CG characters imposed on a real road with real trees. Yeah. Obviously now you watch it now under HD spotlight and what have you and it isn't as... It isn't as sharp as what it seemed back then, but it was it was cutting edge and it was absolutely... It was fantastic. But and you mentioned RC there, like, even thinking back now, and unless I'm, my brain is just filling in this myself, but when RC was riding along the road, you could see that the tyres were actually depressing because yeah, yeah. they weren't, you know, they were yeah. little rubber tyres. But every little bit of detail that they could do back then, they, they did. And then as the technology progressed through, you know, later Disney Pixar films, 
and then we come, you know, four years later to the second film. I remember looking at that, thinking, "Wow, it's you know." There's a pan shot uh, in um, in Al's toy barn where it goes across the um, all of the the um, Woody's roundup characters and all of the memorabilia. Yeah. And I can remember the first the first plasma LED TV that I had and watching that on um, on an upscale DVD. And it, it looked as if you were looking through a window. It is yeah. absolutely, it's crystal perfect. It is it, it was fantastic. And I just thought, that was Toy Story 2. And that was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago that I watched that on the DVD. So we're talking 10 years after it was made. Yeah. So it was yeah. it was absolutely fantastic. It was so, with each one, the technology that is, uh, the, 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 the effects that have that have increased the, the ability. I mean, you look at the pet dog in... Uh, was it the end of the first one or the end of the second one the pet dog comes second in? Second end of the second one. one. And yeah. then compare that to the cat in Toy Story 4, the, the, the improvements that have been made mm. with, with the CGI. And we were completely spoilt with Toy Story, weren't we, with that? Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful animation. It's stunning yeah. from, from, from this, the first one through. This is quite a clever thing that Pixar do, though, don't they? They don't go for photorealism. They go for sort of their own sort of unique style. Yeah. Also. But then by the same token then, you sort of get the effect of like seeing, like you say, like the dimples on the tyres... <laughs> Yeah. Jumping straight forward to the fourth one, the bit with Woody underneath the car with the rain falling off the exhaust pipe. Yeah. It's photorealistic, yeah, but then you've got is, that sort yeah. of cartoon look yeah. around it as well, so it all blends in seamlessly. Totally nailed the art style yeah. that it needs to be. There, there probably are better special effects, and yes, they have pushed them along, but even I still love the first one now because it just seems to fit it so well. But you know, we're talking about the tactical point of view, and yeah. the tactical stuff is you're not consciously aware of it for the most part. And what you're taken aback by is just the quality of the characters. Yeah. The voice talent, the writing. This trilogy, we've spoken about favorite trilogies. We've, you know, Richie and I have said that, you know, there's unfortunately there's very few perfect trilogies. Yeah. You know, there's always one of the films that ends up being a little bit weak. But look at those three Toy Story films. They were a perfect trilogy. Yes, they're supposed to be children's <laughs> films. But I, I, I prefer to consider them family films. Family films. Yeah. Because mm, you know, I was, I was eighteen or nineteen. I saw the first one when I was going, you know, going out drinking one night with friends, and and thought, you know, I, I was the sort of age where films like The Lion King and stuff like that they came at the wrong time in my life. I was I was the wrong age mm-hmm. when those films came out, and and people young who are now younger than me who just think you know they are they are just absolutely awesome, great films from their childhood. Then I was like discovering stuff like you know Goodfellas and Casino mm-hmm. and, and and films like Heat. I was I was going into far more adult fare, and kids' films weren't my bag. But I still could watch a film like Toy Story. There was loads of adult humour in it, stuff which, not overtly adult in its content, but just stuff that only grown-ups would get and would appreciate. Yeah. You know, the stuff with um, Mr. Potato Head and, and you know, all of the, like, the little jokes of him pulling his, his lips off and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. kissing his backside with him. They, they're just they're great films. They, they, they're perfect family films because they appeal to both kids and yeah. adults. People, people will say that Shrek was of the first of his kind to do that sort of humour, whereby there's an awful lot of this humour on different levels. But it wasn't. It was Toy Story. It was yeah, the first it was. mainstream mm. animated film that did that. Mm. You know, you'll get in in a lot of the Disney films and a lot of the animated films that came before. You will get that extra level of of detail. Yeah. But the first people to really, really hit it smack bang on the head and and nail it all the way through was was Pixar with Toy Story. And before we move on to the fourth film, one of the things that strikes me so well about certainly the first film is it sets up this world where toys can be real. You don't need to look too far into it. It's setting out the world for you. It's so, it's so, as a kid, you always secretly sort of believe yeah, yeah. it anyway. Yeah. It's all about make-believe, yeah. isn't it? We yeah. all used to play with our kids and role-play and pretend we were like our G.I. Joe figures, our Transformers figures, or our you know, action men or whatever. That's what it's all about. It's about yeah. kids playing make-believe and kids imagine their toys can come to life. But obviously in this universe, toys do come to life. But you know, put a pin in that. 
because obviously yes. that's something that's going to come up in Toy Story 4. So, moving on to Toy Story 4, obviously we, we've said that the third film, Neil, you and I thought that it wasn't a sequel that needed making until we saw it. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, was you were sort of going back, it was probably the last of this era where we went from a stage from, from Star Wars onwards where everything had to be a trilogy and it was yeah. like, yeah, I it was think before the movie universe, Toy, Toy Story 3 was probably the last of the sort of great trilogy movies. Of, mm-hmm. And then we went into, like you say, like franchises yeah. and universes. When I saw this was coming out, it was like, what's the point? Mm. I know, because you know, Toy Story 3 put a perfect bow on it. And, it, you know, it did as well, because you see you had the sort of, like, the sort of handing over, the sort of passing of the baton, if you like, from, like, yeah. Andy giving the, the toys to Bonnie. Yeah, the, the, the toys. about that. You know, it was, and like you say, it was like <laughs> a perfect end into a film. Mm-hmm. And the sort of an immediate doubt that you and I both expressed to each other was... What's the what's the need of the fourth yeah. film? Yeah, you know, we 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 discussed didn't we the fact that these characters they did live on beyond Toy Story three because there mm. was the two twenty odd minute specials the ha- the Hawaiian vacation and mm. the and the um, Halloween one and also the three mini cartoons are much more akin to old Disney classic cartoons, but they they served as an epilogue. They were just a kind of a little bit of a taster of what Woody and the gang get up to after Toy Story three. But the end of the story was Toy Story three, and that was the little epilogue, and that yeah. and that fitted it, and that worked fine. Yeah, they were um, throwaway stories, weren't they? Yeah. they added more humour and stuff. It was to just it. They, they were just they were just sort of in jokes, really, yeah. and they were just totally. nice to see the characters continuing. Hmm. So fast forward to Toy Story four, then how were we feeling when this film was first announced? It, it, I, I think it said. Uh, I think the initial announcement was that it was going to be a love story. It was going to be different to what we've seen before. Uh, it was going to be a love story between uh, Woody and Bo Peep. And I think that that was a sort of that, that was sort of it. And it just felt well, why? What what do we need? You know, this is this the, these films aren't about one character or two characters. They are ensemble pieces. Everyone's got their parts played. Granted, Woody and Buzz are the main characters per se, but it just felt like well, we've had that perfect ending. We find we've had a bit of a taste of what they do when they live at Bonnie's, but by and large. Every character ended up... It had a nice happy ending. We had the peril of the end of Toy Story 3, but actually it all worked out well. However, off the back of Toy Story 2, why do we need Toy Story 3? So there was still, the back, in the back of our minds, there was that, well, if anybody can do it, it's going to be Pixar. If yeah, anybody, I was going to say, know, that was my sort of thought. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was sort of half dreading it, but then thinking, I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because yeah. they've done it before, and, you know, you'd never have thought the Toy Story 3 would be as good as what it was. So, you know, you have to have faith in the, in the filmmakers. They know what they're doing. And the, the amount of opportunities they would have had over the 20 years to have pumped out Toy Story 4, 5, 6, 7, and they've waited for the right story and all this kind of stuff. So you think, well, that would be... We would we would have completely rinsed it by now. So I was apprehensive, but in the back of my mind, quite confident. I was pretty much like you guys. Wasn't too excited until I saw the trailer. And it kind of just brought me back a bit. I was like, oh, okay. I, I, maybe a bit of roast into glass here because I knew I was going to go see it with my daughter. And I was like, wicked, I get to take my daughter to go see Woody, Buzz. Mm. And, and she loved the trailer as well. And literally, I know we're on about the Forky thing. We'll talk about that in a bit. When as soon as she saw the trailer, she was like, I had to buy a Forky. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's so, yeah. so I had that excitement as well. And much like you guys, I thought mm. if anyone could pull it off, Pixar could. Yeah, and I was going to say that was one of the mm. major concerns I did have was Forky, because seeing the previews, I thought this looks actually pretty decent, and then Forky came into the mix, and I was like, I think we found our new Jar Jar here, this is yeah. going to be a really annoying character. You, you guys, uh, we obviously we all communicate and, and like sort of arrange the podcasts and stuff on the website through WhatsApp, and I remember you guys and Steve having a conversation about Toy Story 4 and about the trailer, and I hadn't seen it. I stayed away from it until my wife and I took our kids to see the Pokemon film, Detective Pikachu, I missed that episode. <laughs> yeah, one of the 
trailers before that was Toy Story 4. And I hadn't seen a single bit of footage about it, apart from maybe one of the first teasers. After the trailer played, I turned to my wife, and she turned to me, and we were like, it doesn't look that good. Yeah. It just didn't look anything that we needed or hadn't seen before. We were asking ourselves, oh, really? A toy that a little kid has put together? That's where they're going? That's, where That's they the main crux of the film, or mm-hmm. one of uh, several main threads in the film. I will be honest and say, mind you, as much as I had reservations about Forky, and I can't believe it all, like, you know, men in our, oh, well, approaching our 40s or in our 40s talking about this now. But when I first saw Forky, I thought this is going to be the Jab Jab Binks character. I actually quite enjoyed him as a character. I thought he was quite a good character. Yeah, obviously, we, we've done it again. We haven't put a spoiler announcement, but you guys and girls know now, you know, by the time this is, Toy Story 4 is going to have been out for a couple of weeks. We're going to be analysing it in detail. And yeah, like you, Neil, I had my reservations, but now I haven't seen the film. As a character, I thought, you know, he had, he had a nice little story arc, especially at the end, then when he's passing his knowledge on to another character. What I didn't like about it, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier on about the magical world you're in where you're supposed to believe that these toys come to life is, if you were to take any number of inanimate objects, stick them together, and pretend they're a toy and then they come to life, that takes away some of the magic of these actual toys having like a heart and soul because yeah. I could take anything now I could I could be a really imaginative child and I could put you know I could take an apple say a spoon and... say a spoon go on yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I could take a spoon like a spoony yeah. <laughs> or a spork you know? <laughs> make that joke <laughs> or, or anything I'd take some play-doh and like make and turn that into a time what all of a sudden then that's going to come to life one of the case and I'm going to be really soft and romantic about it now one of the case of a child's love for a toy making Absolutely agree. Yeah. But unless that's going to be properly established, I think it... She it, writes the name on the bottom of the foot. That's it. That's looks, the love. Yeah. yeah, but we never needed to have the explanation of how these things come to life. In a way, they've done it by saying all a child has to do is think of an object or collection of objects as a toy and it comes to life. Well, I don't need to know that. Well, I, I would rather be just vaguely aware of the fact that the characters that... that are just made as toys come to life. Yeah. They're basically signposting something and and exploring something that, in a way, kind of takes the magic away from what these films were. We've had it before where, obviously, with the the first one with Buzz, you know, he believes he's a space ranger and all the rest of it and he believes that he's, you know, he doesn't believe that he's a toy. And then we had in Toy Story 2 when they go into Al's toy barn and you meet all of the Buzzes and we have that thing of what happens when more than one buzzes in the room because they all believe it and then surely that's an awakening for all of them because they realise that, that they're not... So they kind of danced near that, that sort of wider world then, which is fine. But with this, it was... I, I, I completely get what you're saying. For me, it was a, it was a one-joke um, little thing. It was this thing of, I would have preferred it if she'd have made something in school, it's forky, it worked for a couple of minutes and then that was it rather than that ended up being one of the mm. main characters because it just felt it like it was a one joke you know one trick pony that was completely stretched out over the whole film and yeah there was it was quite nice at the end and he wasn't as irritated mm. he wasn't Jar Jar Binks yeah. no he was but he wasn't needed he was either. done well and this is only something that's sprung to mind over you know the maybe two weeks since I saw the film watching it I actually enjoyed it he was nowhere near the irritating character I thought he would be. You know, a lot of the new characters they introduced and, you know, we're moving on to, like, you know, the others, like Bo Peep and what's the name of the... Say the two plushies. Chatty Cathy character. You know, you've got her and then you've got that little police woman doll. Oh, the Polly in my pocket kind of reference. Yeah, I thought she was quite funny. 
Yeah, you know, they've introduced a few new characters. You um, had the, the duck, didn't you? And the, what was it? The, the plushy bear was, that was, was stuck together. Called, it was actually called Ducky. <laughs> oh. Is that, that's that's the Keenan Peel character. Yeah, it was Keenan Peel. Yeah. And it, well, Jordan Peel was uh, Bunny. Keenan Michael Key was uh, Ducky. They were funny. They, they were yeah. funny. There's, I don't think you could criticise this film and say that the new characters weren't funny and there weren't funny bits in it. And ultimately, it, it, it's... I was going to say that was certainly pulled off because that was another mm. element of the more and more little because I would say my partner's uh, little and now is sort of three and he's got going through the same thing all over again now where his Toy Story is this Buzz that mm. and I've got to pretend mm. to be Buzz and Woody and God knows what and we were watching all the little clips on YouTube and again I was seeing the characters of like Ducky and Bunny and I was thinking oh look sassy talking cute animals this is going to be really fucking annoying yeah remarkably it didn't really bother me that much. Yeah, I'm no, be honest. So, yeah. <laughs> um, the plush rush joke is one of my yeah. one of my, my ongoing one of the best jokes in the film. When they go and try and take the key from the lady, oh, yeah, and they're coming up right. with the ideas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, <sort> of, <laughs> it's a brilliant joke. It's it, like, it, could have, it could have easily fallen into. I can't remember if it's like Family Guy or The Simpsons or South Park or whatever like that. They do like a sort of like a parody on animation, and basically they sort of go, "Oh, we need like a rapper cow, like, and we need to like you know, more active." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. And it's like one of them pulls up with like a big gold chain on. He's like, "Moo, wickedy, wickedy, whack, or whatever," you know. Yeah. And I thought when they were trying to do that, I thought, yeah. "Oh, they're pushing this a bit too far here," but it didn't fall into those realms, did it? No. Um, Gabby, Gabby is the chatty Gabby doll. Yeah. She's yeah. voiced by Christina Hendricks. Coming fast forward to the end of the film, she actually gets redemption, and you know, you actually see her as quite a sad and, and character for which you've got a lot of sympathy and empathy for and that is the main crux of Woody's story arc and I liked all of that Yeah. It, but again it's a retread of things we've seen before it seemed to be a bit of a difference with this it was almost in reverse because that bit first of all in the antique shop Mm. With the, the little the, the puppets from yeah, yeah. are they goosebumps? goosebumps yeah. yeah, that was like generally like a little bit. Like, you know, yeah. I was thinking there's a lot of kids could be quite scared of this. Yeah, I was my, a little my, bit, my daughter was. I was a little bit nervous yeah, myself, my, Chris. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my eight year old when he saw that, he looked at me and was like, oh. <laughs> and I yeah, thinking you know, obviously we've seen films like Annabelle where those sort of older fashioned um, dolls now are, are becoming quite. Um, well, they just look naturally spooky. They do. Yeah. Yeah. I remember as a kid, yeah. my sister had like these little uh, well, P-Rose or Poirot, well, P-Rose, one of the clowns. Yeah. Black and white clowns. Yes, yeah. yeah. And they used to scare the shit out of me. Yeah. I was 23 at the time. Like, but <laughs> they, they do play on that quite well in the film though because I think yeah. there's like a throwaway line where she turns her head like that and yeah. focus goes, well, that's terrifying. <laughs> like that. yeah, so they know what they're doing. See, this is no this is no new thing because mm. you remember the film Dolls from I don't know the, the late 80s made by Stuart Gordon the guy that did Reanimator yeah. the central premise there is dolls are fucking scary yeah. and if you make dolls like in Toy Story you give them a life of their own and have them going on a fucking killing spree my god you know it is well, yeah, it's yeah. classic isn't it I mean Let's be honest, there's anything more scary than fucking Chucky running down a dark Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. God, they yeah. almost reference that because there's a, quite a scary chase scene, isn't there, where they're going behind yeah. corridors and they can kind of angle their bodies through gaps. Exactly, that's terrifying in itself. They were yeah. actually, they were, the, they were the puppets off Goosebumps, weren't they? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was quite nice that Disney Pixar weren't exactly playing it safe by putting in something that's going to be a bit scary for kids because, yeah, you know, the Toy Story films, there's a few moments which are quite... Yeah. You know, it goes above the thing of mild peril. It's, it's totally. It's, it's refreshing to see. It's almost going back to the sort of films that we grew up with in the eighties, where you had like you know things like Gremlins and stuff like that, which were yeah. aimed squarely at like sort of like a sort of certain demographic, but weren't afraid to push an envelope mm. either. Oh, yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Certain bits. Yeah. I mean, one of my friends was actually terrified of sloth as a kid, but like thinking about it now. Yeah, I can see why someone could yeah. look at Sloth and be terrified of him, yeah. you know, looking in the mirror. I quite often jump when I thought <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the, the other new character that's introduced is um, 
is Keanu Reeves. Yeah. yeah. As Duke Kaboom. You know, that guy, he, he can't do wrong at the he moment. He can't do breathtaking wrong. any. Every time he appears on social media, he, he appeared recently at the, um, uh, what was the uh, video game? E3. Expo, E3. Cyberpunk. Yeah, he's going to be the new Cyberpunk game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's just such a fucking cool guy. Yes. And, uh, as has been proven several times by countless videos people have taken of him out and about, like the, the one on the subway train. Yes. Where it doesn't even look like he kind he of... He wasn't even aware that he was no, doing film, was no. it? But it's just like, excuse me, man, would you like my seat? It's yeah. Fucking how much of a cool guy have you he seen, is. Have you seen the one yeah. with the plane gets delayed? No. And basically, it's, um, they get they get a detour and the plane gets grounded. They have to go on a bus for like a three or four hour journey. And like Keanu Reeves is like giving them local facts. And, you know, he's what? like, you know, he could have just arranged for a driver. I don't think with Keanu Reeves, it'd be easy to say with Keanu Reeves that perhaps this is all like some amazing bit of PR work. I don't think it's you can be genuinely that all. nice for that he's long. He's gone on for so long. He's gone on for so long. I'm pretty sure there's an offshoot to that as well because there was a couple that were getting married on that plane. Yeah. And yeah. he paid for a, a driver or something just to get them to where mm. they need to get to because they were worried that's they were going to make on, it. That's why he went on the yeah. bus, didn't he? Yeah. He could have had the car, but he gave it to yeah. them, yeah. So what do we think of him as this uh, sort of evil, can evil type character? Because Neil, you will definitely remember that time. Yeah? I definitely, the, the one thing I feel, the thought they missed with that was they were going on about how slow it was, but he wasn't going off to the left or veering yeah. off to the right all the time. <laughs> no, because I had an evil, can evil, and mine used to go off to the left, and my best mate had one, and his used to go off to the right. We could yeah. never get to go straight. <laughs> the way I remember it, that was a fucking... Fast tie. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, so it was great. That, so, you know, get to the point Obviously, where you... Rich, you can't remember that. No, I had a night driver version. Keanu Reeves, in a certain role, I mean, you, you can't fault but love him in sort of John Wick, but yeah. Keanu Reeves, in a certain role, is so well-suited. Yeah. And this was one where I think, basically, if you needed someone who sounded a bit Keanu reeves let's yeah. put it that way, yeah. is Keanu Reeves Canadian? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah so they actually tied it in with, the, you know, the Duke of Boom. <laughs> but... He just fitted the role perfectly, yeah. yeah. He was actually born in, in Beirut. Beirut, Canada, obviously. Yeah, Helsinki. It's one of my uh, favourite one-liners in the in the film. It's like, and it, it stuck with me. Yes, I Canada. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, wow, that's what, amazing. What is Duke Boom supposed to be Canadian? Yeah, yeah he's he 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 a Canadian daredevil. He's the Canadian evil Canadian, basically, isn't he? Yeah, I liked him. I thought he was he was great. But in the time has passed since seeing the film now. Well, hang on, we're missing out one of the most important cameos in this film was Combat Carl. Oh, he's back. Oh, yes, now Combat, Combat Carl. Carl's obviously featured in his own mini Toy Story short Do we film. know who's voicing Combat Carl? It's Carl Weathers. It's the man. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think they used them enough. Yeah. But I think what they've tried to do is they've given centre stage now to three female new characters. But the one issue I've got is they've introduced this slew of new characters... None of which I've got a major problem with at all. But what they've done is they've completely sidelined the old gang. They were cleaned in. Jessie has been completely sidelined. She's had very little to do. Yeah. Mr. Potato Head, Rex, Slinky, all of them have had literally next to nothing to do. I don't think Buzz had that much to do. No, no, no that's, that a, the that's biggest, an issue. That was the biggest yeah, shock for me. The fact that they've they've sidelined Buzz Lightyear and they've actually stupefied him. They've made him a little bit, you know, this whole. I like the old inner monologue thing. The, yeah. The inner voice, but it makes him look dumb. Yeah. By the time we get to Toy Story 2, Buzz is completely self-aware. He's completely switched on. Well, like Rich was saying, the way he sort of controls the other Buzzes yeah. into, like, you know, doing his bidding, if you like. Yeah. yeah. He? Like, you know? You know, if they were going down the route of this is going to be Woody and Bo Peep's story, that's fine. The new characters you've introduced, places, many of those places, could well have been filled by the characters we already knew and already yeah. loved. There was no need to sideline. In such a big ensemble, there's no need to sideline existing characters because what the new characters bring in, how much value to the story do the new characters bring in? 
I get I, I get that Bo Peep was Woody's old, lost love, so there's there's that angle there, and he finds her again, and that's and that's fine. We never wondered where Bo Peep was. Yeah, I thought it was nice for the third one because you know he's, the character uh, Wheezy was um, the actor who played him had died, and they made the sort of reference to the certain toys have been lost and yeah. Yeah. lost on the way and then they mentioned Bo at the time and I thought that was quite nice the way they sort of did that it was almost like it was a sadness callback isn't it yeah, yeah. I think Woody just, Woody just gives a look doesn't he and, yeah. and that's all mm. it needs you know that yeah. it, was, uh, and it says everything you need to know and, we, yeah. and yeah, it's got once again plenty to the adult kind of thing we all understand that toys are going to get lost they're going to get given away you don't want to delve too into that into the movie but the one look that Woody gives and then they move on. It and, sums it up well. And it's almost a metaphor as well. And it? as, mm. as you get older, you're going to lose yeah. your friends. You mm. know, you know, people are going to drift it, it, apart and stuff like that. We're sort of read mm. into it, one not It seems daft in a, in a film series about toys that come to life. It seems daft to point out inconsistencies and, and this would never happen kind of thing. But how far away is this fairground, this circus? How far away is this campsite that they go to? What are the chances that the one antique toy shop that is there on this site... Bo Peep happens to be there. Yeah. We are picking apart a Toy Story film. But I think the reason we're doing that is because and this is something the Toy Story 4 is always going to be fighting against. It's something the Toy Story 3 fought, but it got into that fucking ring fully armed and mm. trained. And it was like, no, I can hold my own against these other two yeah, amazing yeah. films. And it did. And everyone thought it was the Toy Story sequel that we didn't realise we wanted. Not to play my hand too early, but Toy Story 4 is a damn entertaining film. It's extremely well made. It's got a great raft of characters, but because of various problems like the sidelining of existing characters, like you say, Rich, some of those implausibilities, the reasons that we're being so picky is because look at the look at the, the bar. The bar has yeah. been set, set so, so high. high by three perfect films. And if it comes down to applying numerics to a film, whatever final score we give Toy Story 4... It's not, it's not going to achieve. Yeah. It's, it's not. not achieve it's, it's not. Set, is it? it's, but the thing that irks me is it could have because you had those characters you could have written any number of different stories and whatever you could, you, know, you could have gone down a really really tragic route if you're going to talk about these toys as having you know a finite lifespan and they can be destroyed you could have explored that in all sorts of ways which would have maybe become a little bit dark which which I did wonder at the end of Toy Story 3 I did wonder if that's what they were going to, I thought mm. well well for the third and final part maybe someone is going to get Melted. Look, look at what, what what have they done? Where have they taken these characters? You've got this, um, yeah, the Gabby Gabby character. She just basically goes through the whole thing that we've seen. There's part of Stinky Pete's story, of, of Jesse's own story, of just a toy that wants to be played with. It doesn't give us anything that we haven't seen before, probably done better. Toy Story 3 gave us a conclusion that we didn't think we needed, but one that, you know, had us all close to tears. They've undone the ending of Toy Story 3 with yes. Toy Story 4 because the whole point was that, that what is going to happen to Woody more so than any of the other toys, what is going to happen to Woody when Andy grows up? Woody is his best friend, has been his best friend forever. He is the reason for Woody's existence is to be Andy's favourite toy. Mm. So what happens when Andy no longer wants him? And the redemption then at the end of the film is that, well, actually, no, here's a new child that's deserving, that's, that, that, that will look after Woody and all of the toys and we're playing, has got the imagination and everything. So we had that actually... At the end of that, Woody realised that his worth didn't come from just being Andy's toy. His worth came from being the next child's toy, the the the, yeah, the, the favourite toy. toy, a toy, anyone's toy. Yeah. So to take it to the end of this now, whereby actually what Woody realises is no, that he doesn't have to be somebody's toy. He can be an ambassador for all toys. Mm. He can make sure that everyone gets owners. It feels as though they possibly struggled with. They had this idea of doing a new film 
and we'll we'll re reunite him with with uh, Bo Peep, and it'll be a love story, and that's a nice idea, and, and we'll see what happens. But then, actually, how do we bring it to a satisfying conclusion that out satisfies Toy Story three? Because we can't have them going home again. We can't have Bo Peep coming back because the whole point is Bo Peep is now an independent woman. So why is Bo Peep now going to be satisfied with being a toy again? Yeah, she wouldn't. So Woody has to go along with her, mm. but that is at odds with everything that's happened to Woody in the first three films. And what you've just said there, I agree with you so strongly, it's going to cause me to contradict something I've just said about the fact that they had these great characters in place and could have made the story as good as the previous three. Maybe that, yeah, they couldn't. And that's why the, that's why the little specials worked. Because the purpose of those were little throwaway bits that I dare say they were they were um, offcuts of, of voices that they recorded during the production of Toy Story 3 and they had a couple of other ideas and they were probably sequences that got expanded and all the rest of it and they were made up of, of those. But the point is that, as I said before, that was an epilogue. That was confirmation to us that they're actually they're fine. Their, their happy ending lasted. Yeah, like you said, the end of the, 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 end of the part three was literally... And many new adventures will come yeah. that we'll never see. Yeah. But that's fine by us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just it's think with this ending. one, it was almost like as if, like Sky was alluding to then, like they had the sort of genesis of a good idea. It just needed a couple more run-throughs, a couple more drafts. Yeah. <laughs> I took a little bit something different away from it, actually. It took me a long time to come to terms with it. Is that, has Woody been making... Because he, he loved Belle. Well, we know that. And has he been just making sacrifices... To be Andy's toy it was all about supporting Andy. Well, it, there was that bit, yeah. wasn't it? Like you say yeah. in the beginning, with um, when, when when she was getting taken away, like exactly. Yeah, they, so they it, set yeah. that up quite well, mm. and he's made all these sacrifices. He's loved watching Andy grow up. He gets passed on to Bonnie, mm. and Bonnie isn't playing with him as much. Is it just a case of Woody's character development saying, "I'm done. It's fine. I can finally take what I want." Yeah, that was and, that's, and why that's I what I took away. It took yeah. me a long time to come to that because when I saw it in the cinema, I was like. What? It is. It is that. Mm. And mm. that is what it is. Mm. But that that is at odds with the first three films. They've yeah. changed Woody's motivation. They've changed what Woody wants. And what but Woody that, that wants. was the thing, he? he was trying to that's why he was trying to save Forky, that's why he was trying to you know, that's why he snuck in the bag. He was almost a little bit too controlling of it's Bonnie's first day as preschool. She has to be everything has to be fine. It was like as if he was assuming too much responsibility because he naturally got it. Through Andy, it was like as if he was trying to do that with Bonnie as well. But, but that's how, that's the undoing of the happy ending. The, pay, the payoff then he goes and pulls a cap, doesn't he? He goes and pulls a Captain America at the end. He sorts it all out and then goes off and lives his own life. I, I knew that there was going to be a, a choke up ending, Kate, because Neil Neil alluded to me because he saw it before me, and then you were like, you, you, "It you, broke you, me." To be yeah, honest, yeah, you said <laughs> it broke you. So I knew something was coming. I was really a, surprised with that. Really surprised. Yeah, oh, I got oh, right. to be honest. I, I He's a bit <laughs> No, I got to be honest. A lot of it was because I was sat with Zach watching it, and like I said, so much of a connection. Like Chris was alluding yeah. to, I had so much of a connection of basically having a little. Well, I took my my partner's uh, little boy as well, so I had a three year old and a twelve year old who's twelve going on like eighteen, and, and it was sort of like almost going back in time, watching the little and sort yeah. of just marveling at the big screen. Yeah, and then looking at Zach seeing the characters that he'd grown up with going separate ways and it just you know it yeah, just tugged the heartstrings a little bit right I, I thought the thing you were alluding to was going to be the Gabby Gabby bit and when she is like goes off and has her little bit and I thought oh well that seems to be what it's all building yeah. to yes it's, it's quite moving but nowhere near what you know the, yeah. the things we've had before with, with Jesse's song in Toy Story yeah, 2 yeah. which oh, I, can't, yeah. I, I can't even talk about that yeah. and, you know, <laughs> no, the ending of Toy really. Story 3 but yeah. then when it actually came to the proper heartstring pulling ending I was like Jesus <laughs> my, my, my 8 year old he leant over and he said uh, bear in mind that he grew up with 
a Buzz and Woody toy, yeah. which he's had since he was like three, which yeah. he's absolutely loved. I Doesn't you know, not anymore, like, but it's my five-year-old that plays with him now. Hmm. He, le- he leaned over and he said, uh, Dad, when I was little, Buzz and Woody were always together. Yeah. And that was it for me. I was like, oh, and it was. I think it was that. Too much, that. too much. And like you say, it's almost like sort of telling that, again, you know, you can lose touch with friends, you can, you know, or sometimes a friend will make a decision that you kind of don't want them to make, but you'll understand why they make it, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And it was just like a load of little metaphors there. Like I say, plus the sort of two generations of kids sat mm-hmm. either side of me. It just like, yeah, ripped me in half. It got me as well. The buzz acknowledged it as yeah. well. It was it was buzz saying, you know, He's you, you need this one. Yeah. This is this is for you. It's your time. So let's just uh, wrap it with some individual final thoughts and, and scores then for Toy Story 4. <laughs> uh, Neil, I'll start with you. I think it's already been said. It's a sequel too far. That was perhaps the last of the sort of great sort of Hollywood trilogies for me. I'm a little bit worried though that this is going into universes and franchises, mm. and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if we got a Toy Story five, six, seven with Woody and Bo on their adventures, Buzz and the gang on their adventures, mm. Ducky and Bunny. Mm. You know, and I can see it going that way, and I really hope I'm wrong about that. For me, to compare it to Toy Story three. Which was, as we've alluded on many times, just perfection. All that being said, I came out of the cinema. I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the characters. It was lovely seeing them on the big screen again. I laughed all the way through. Although there were some divisive bits, I still really enjoyed it. But a little thing just went off in my brain there when you were talking about that. With them splitting them up and all these other characters being introduced and this new Disney live service coming in, are they going to be looking more at the Netflix kind of individual I think, shows? I think you're pegging it across. To, to yeah. If they give us a series mm. of shorter Toy Story stories, like Small Fright, Hawaiian Vacation, mm. um, I'm not sure if I've seen the other, uh, sorry, mm. I have seen the Toy Story of Terror. They're fucking great. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They are so they are good. good. Like the little McDonald's toys and, mm. and all the yeah. different, and the, you know, the one in Small Fright is just brilliant. Yeah, and for, for like a, a very short, you know, 10 minute film, well, that's whatever the thing, it is. Like Chris was saying, there's, to- there's stories to be told there. There's a great Netflix or Disney Disney Plus or whatever they're yeah. going to call yeah. it, streaming service series there. Yeah. But this last film is a great Netflix special. That's, it's not, it's not yes. a cinema it, experience. Yeah, it felt like a lower level of the rung in terms of just storytelling quality. The animation, as we've oh, told, it was fantastic. Is, is top-notch. Yeah. And that's what pulls it ahead and makes it cinema-worthy, to be honest. The actual film is probably not cinema-worthy. It is a straight-to-DVD story. And you go back to 1998, when Toy Story 2 was being mooted, and probably earlier than that, when it was going to be a straight-to-video sequel. And they looked at the final product then in 99, and were like, holy shit, this is brilliant. And they had the theatrical release, thank God, because, you know, it's just absolute perfection. Yeah, you've, you, I mean, I think I, it's going to be no surprise with me. I'm more negative towards the film than what you guys are, which the fact this is a Disney film with, with my reputation is, is something. But I genuinely think it's a stunningly beautiful film to look at. You cannot fault. It is, I mean, I'd, I'd happily look at it without listening to the story and, and what have you because I think it's beautiful. But for me, it was just, it is a sequel too far. It was a, it was a perfect trilogy. It's a 25-minute film, as you said, stretched yeah. out over 90 minutes or 100 minutes, whatever it is. It, it, it does go too far. It does things for the characters that I'm not overly happy about. I, I, I actually looked at my watch a number of times when the film was on. I was, I was a bit moved by the end of it, but nowhere near what you guys are saying. I get it. I was there with all three of my kids. But I was actually, through it, I was just thinking to myself, I'd rather be sat here watching Toy Story 3 for the 50th time yeah. I would, than watching this. It is a sequel too far. 
I will watch it again because I've got three kids. But I, if it's a choice, I'd watch any of the first three time and time again before watching that again. It was. It pains me to say because I love the franchise, but it was. It was definitely too far. And I. And the, as time has gone on, the more pissed off with it I am. It's. It's, yeah. it's really bothered yeah. me. Exactly the same as what all you guys have said. Of A and degrees, Rich. I, I. I probably agree with you the most in so much as it's a very good film. And compared to uh, films like Cars Three and. You know, other lesser Disney Pixar films, even The Incredibles 2, which I just didn't think was that great. Watch it a second time, yeah, it's not bad. But the first film is just perfection. Yeah. The second one, that was a sequel we did need. And, you know, there was always more um, stories to be told there that you could just take the piss out of the superhero genre, especially now in this day and age. But I just don't think it, you know, it was that good a sequel. Um, and it's the same thing with this film. You, it, it's, it's, it's one of the better Disney Pixar sequels outside of the Toy Story franchise. The, the Disney Pixar, their status is that they make outstanding first films and this, and you love the characters. And if you, I mean, it's hard to pick a bad Disney Pixar first film, but every one of their sequels is, it isn't as good as the first one. And I, I find an emo watch with my eldest and we loved mm -hmm. it. It was stunning to look yeah. at and all the rest of it. Finding Dory, it's more of the same, but actually it's just not as good. And I say that with every single one. I'll give them credit. Story franchise is the one. Yeah, I was going to say that's the is one. the only one. That but then, builds. I'm not saying the Monsters University is as good as Monsters Inc. But at least it's got a different angle of being a prequel, and you're seeing the characters mm. not further on from the first film. You've seen them beforehand. Yeah, and you the know. prequel elements of Finding Dory are the better parts of Finding Dory, I would right. say. But it, it is, it is, you know, this. Unfortunately, this is a standard Disney Pixar sequel. So. Final scores then out of 10. Neil, we'll start with you. We're all parents. The amount of animated films I've been to, if it was any other franchise or any other animated film that I go on to see and I could score it 7 out of 10, I would actually be quite pleased with that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a 7 out of 10 surrounded by 10 out of 10s. And yeah. that's what, to me, it, that's what knocks it down from being an 8, to be honest. Yeah. I think if that was a standalone film that I'd just seen without knowing the characters, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Yeah. It drops a point because, like you say, the bar is set so high. These characters are so well established. For me, cutting Buzz Lightyear virtually out of this film was a big mistake. You need the double act. It's not all about Woody. It's not all about Buzz. It's about Woody and Buzz. Neil, I can't say any better than that. And I fully agree with you. On paper, on its own, being objective and in isolation, it's an 8 out of 10 film. Easily. But it's not a film on its own. And yeah. what it does now is it's of a lower quality than the other three films and it dilutes that perfect franchise of all 10 out of 10s down to less than 10. Yeah. And because I've got these little niggles which have grown, which I probably haven't expanded on as much as I could have in this episode, but we've got other things that we need to come to once we've discussed this film, so I don't want to take up too much time. I think I came out initially thinking, yeah, you know, that's a, a fairly generous 8 out of 10. But as time has gone on, the problems with it have bothered me a little bit more. Hopefully they might dilute on a second viewing. But as it stands at the moment, I'm going to go for a 7 out of 10 as well. I genuinely sat between 6 and 7. I really am. And and I think the things I've talked about before... Go 6, be evil rich. Yeah, I'm going to be 6. <laughs> <laughs> because because the the things that I... I you, you look at all the other films that we've, we've rated before, but you're not, you're not I'm not rating these films alongside other films. I'm rating these films along this film alongside the Toy Story franchise. And the higher the standard, the further the fall. And this is a, this is a big fall for me. And I think you go every single Toy Story film, you, you could very much argue it's a 10... And this is a massive drop. And before we come to drop. you, Chris, I think we're probably going to be subject of a lot of people criticising us now for being... Well, come on, guys. You can't expect it all to be as good as you know the th the, the, the second or third film or, or, or even the first film. Don't do and it. It's like, yeah, Don't there do you go, Neil. Don't do it. Why can't we expect that? Because they, they always... Because now look how many 
millions and millions yeah, exactly. of times yeah. no, but, but the point makes money the film's going to be exactly the point that's why yeah. I think but you might get a you might even get a fifth and, and we yeah yeah but that's why I think the film was always going to be made we can't we can't say that and I'm going to be a little bit braver and say it was an eight it was yeah. a solid movie from all the way through I enjoyed the characters I laughed all the way through and until I cried at the end that's what I'm saying like, and, same sort of sentiment but well, yeah. that's, that's perfect then because yeah. 7, 7, 6 and 8 that gives it a film 89 verdict for mm. Toy Story 4 of 7 out of 10 mm. And so on to the second part of this uh, bumper double value episode. We are now going to be going in depth and spoiler heavy on Spider Man Far From Home. What number are we on now, guys? Have it, MCU films 24? 24? Was, was Endgame 22, 23? I, Spider Man. It was, I'm being told by. Uh, by her assistant, the end game was 22, and uh, Spider Man Far From Home is the 23rd film in the MCU. That's 23 our, That's films. our we got working yeah, in the, the intern, yeah. We'll call him Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, myself, Neil, and um, James Pierce did the uh, the end game episode, and it was, uh, you know, it was a resounding 10 out of 10 from the three of us. Oh, yeah, definitely. Obviously, Richie, um, you were off doing your humanitarian work um, back then, so you missed the episode. What were your uh, thoughts on end game? Well, I don't know, we've got long enough to talk about it, have we? I absolutely loved the film. I, I echo everything that was said on the uh, on the episode. It was, they did the unexpected, they did what we hoped they would do, and they really finished off the story perfectly. They closed the arc on so many of the characters, and I was absolutely stupefied by it. It was fantastic. Chris? Echo every sentiment. It's never been done before. A 21-film saga. The pressure must have been immense to nail it. And ten out of ten for me, straight. Yeah. They 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 nailed it. I think one thing Neil, that you and me were agreed on pretty much straight after we saw the film was the fact that we could have walked away from this franchise now because it was such a perfect ending. Yeah, I, as, as silly as it sounds, I could have done that with Infinity War. If that would have been dark. If, and I, if that had been the last film, and you'll see, yeah. Yeah. Little window it would have been, yeah. been yeah, it would have been a little bit weird. But it was that good a film. But definitely with Endgame, yeah. If they just said, right, and that's the end of it now, we're going to wrap it up in a perfect bow and we're just going to say this was something that's going to be locked away in the annals of history now, I'd have been more than happy yeah. with that. But these films make billions of dollars. But, mm. And I know that two or three years later, if they said there's a petition to sign, do you want to see another MCU film? Everyone would sign it. Uh, well, I'd have been first on a list, so yeah. Yeah. Did we want you know another MCU film so close to Endgame? I was worried. I, I really thought this was going to suffer almost like a hangover effect. I was like, 
how can this move forward now without suffering after this? Um, I almost thought uh, like Captain Marvel suffered a little bit of that as well, coming just before in game. I know it wasn't the best movie, but the timing of that didn't help as well. Mm. So I thought, is the timing of this gonna affect this movie as well? And no, it, I, I was worried about that because I was gonna mm. say, as much as we sort of we didn't really tear into Captain Marvel, we pointed out a few faults. Let's be. Uh, we I think we called it the weakest of the episodes. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was, was still a very, very high bar. It was yeah. it was very much the same with Black Panther, which is a film you know when I first watched it, I was like it's enjoyable, but I just want to see Infinity War. Yeah. And like you say, the sort of post thing of that then. If, do we really want to see an MCU film now? And, you know, a sort of collaboration film as well, so it's a Sony Marvel Studios film, mm. you know, is this going to, you know, like you say, is this going to sort of, like, hit the right mark now? That was the thing, and I think that last year, I, I, I on one of the episodes, I said that Ant-Man and the Wasp, when we did the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode, it was too soon after um, uh, after Infinity War. It was very much different cha- change in tone. Go, having revisited it, I appreciated it a lot more, and, and then obviously the impact of Ant-Man going forward, it's a crucial, it is a crucial film. The first trailer that we saw for Far From Home was a light Spider-Man film. It was very much kind of, well, I hope, my, my thoughts were, I hope that this is set prior to Infinity War because otherwise you just, we knew that Spider-Man was coming back, but there was that, there was that, that kind of element, well, how brave would it be for, for Marvel to bin off uh, Peter Parker and let some Miles Morales. Miles Morales would have been or, uh, so bold. Yeah, so, so bold yeah. to do that. So, we didn't, you know, we, we, we expected, but we didn't know for certain. Many mm. people say they did. But it was that thing of, I hope they haven't spoiled, yeah. the, I hope they've spoiled um, uh, Endgame with that. But it felt too, the, the trailer felt very much, I think I said to you, Neil, at the time, I, I feel like now I, they need to leave 12 months. They need to leave a bit of time now because with what's coming with Endgame, because we at that point we didn't know, it, it needs, there's so much to do that that's too, too light and fluffy. However... The first trailer that then came post Endgame, whereby we knew that it was set straight after Endgame, and we knew that Tony Stark had died, that was the first time that I thought, right, they've got this. Yeah. Because what I didn't want to see was, oh, it's really sad Tony died. Anyway, let's go to Europe and let's go on yeah. our adventure. And everyone, I didn't want a film of Maudlin, but I wanted the right gravitas to be there. I needed it to be the right balance of, of humour looking forward, but also appreciating what we what we've just been through and credit to the trailer as well for a classic bit of misdirection with just the drop of one word the multiverse yeah it's mentioned in the trailer yes and then my mind just went racing yeah. absolutely all racing yeah yeah and i think especially after we've seen what they've done with like uh, into the spideyverse like into the spiderverse mm. You know, you think if you could see a live action version of this, yeah. I mean, there was sort of rumours, wasn't it, all the way through the Toby Maguire and Andrew, possibly even Andrew Garfield making yeah. cameos in yeah. this, you know? Yeah. What we've all done is, we've all, not all of us, but certain people, all of us, 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 in the weeks running up to the release of the film, I was thinking, yeah, you know, it's something to look forward to, especially after Endgame, you know, something a little bit more light-hearted. Could be just like Ant-Man and the Wasp was, you know, the perfect sort of antidote to the really dark ending to Infinity War. Well, I was going to say with Ant-Man and the Wasp, it was almost until we got that sort of, like, post credits thing. Yes. It's a standalone film. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It has, yeah. It has no, no real reference to it, you know, to any importance to any of the other stories. It's yeah. a standalone film. But like you say, it is light-hearted. Mm. And it is more of a sort of... 
I almost say a classical sort of superhero film now mm. that we were used to in the sort yeah. of like late 90s, early 2000s, which is these characters exist in their own little world. Mm. Yeah. You know, we, do, we don't need to cross-reference yeah. 15 other characters, you know, and stuff like that. But you're right, though, what you said. You, one thing you hit upon there, which which I think has been a bit of bone of contention, kind of, is the, is the fact it's a Sony collaboration, which is why the trailer came out a bit earlier because yeah well, I think so if, you've got to make their money as well yeah exactly yeah. yeah so I think had it been a, a sole uh, Marvel production we wouldn't have seen that trailer because everyone's going to go and see Spider-Man so they don't need to show any footage until after anything but, but like you say really speaking do they even need a trailer I mean you know as such a detailed trailer yeah. you know you could basically just show Spider-Man swinging from a building yeah. and that would be all that you need to convince anyone to go and see this film isn't yeah. it you know? we'd, be, we'd be there yeah. <laughs> sold I think, <laughs> I think the other thing as well is that the last time that there was anything you know, like the with with the first Spider-Man film, you had that uh, the opening thing set set eight years later, which is the biggest clanging mistake, yeah. continuity-wise, that we've seen. And it was a kind of thing. Well, how separate is this? We know that Sp- Spider-Man is part of the Avengers, and clearly from the five films he's been involved with. But actually, how much control do they have? And and are we going to go so further away so soon after Endgame? And that was that was what I was caught really cautious about going in. Because we've already had those differences already. But we've sort of almost got to the point with the trailers with Marvel now where there's so much misdirection. There's so many sort of scenes you're seeing in trailers that aren't in the film. I mean, straight away I was like, Mysterio's in this. Mysterio's a bad guy. No, Mysterio appears to be a good guy. Instantly, it was like sort of like, well, there's going to be a twist to this. He's going to be the bad guy. And I was like, no, this is too obvious. And it almost come back and bit me on the ass now because I was second guessing myself in the film thinking... Is this Mysterio from a multiverse who's going to be proven to be a good guy? But is the real Mysterio going to turn up? We've had the same thing, haven't we? Yeah. Captain Marvel, where we all thought the Skrulls were going to yeah. be evil, and it turns yeah. out that they're not. They're sort yeah. of like these refugees going through space looking for a home. Yeah. Um, I was concerned how they were just going to deal with the gap. I thought, oh, we're just going to have a big disposition dump. Is it going to just going to break up the whole flow of everything? Mm. This, uh, as they so call it, the bip in the movie. The blip. Yeah. The blip. Sorry, but it's pretty much in the opening, and they just nail it. I love how it's explained, and they don't they don't dwell on it too yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's exactly what they do. What do people know about it? What, yeah. What do, the do, general... do, do people know that this alien being called Thanos, who was in possession of all these stones, clicked his fingers? If in, if if the general populace well, isn't they, aware, I would imagine they do because I would imagine you know is it so it will be explained. They're not just going to say, oh, and Iron Man died or Tony Stark died, but we're not going to tell you how. Yeah, true. It's the, I would imagine that the story's been documented and, you know, sort of like, you know, well, it would become like a legend, a, a, well, a legend yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah literally a living legend. But then yeah. you've got to think, realistically, when that happened and half the world's population disappeared, everything would have gone to ratchet. It would have been more than half the world's population for a start. Yeah, but that was the every thing, every plane that's up in the sky. Yeah, if, but, if the pilot disappears, everyone on that plane. Yeah, but that was the thing because well. you had that caveat, didn't you? Because when the Hulk snapped. It was for everything to go back as it was. They touched on that as well when the band came back and stuff like that. When yeah, at the yeah. beginning the band just reappeared. So they saw like that. I thought that was very clever because they were looking at the things like like the housing thing. Like May was saying, she went back to her apartment, and there was another family living yeah, there yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, it was a lot of sort of. There was definitely a lot of thought put into this. Yeah, yeah. Well, but Banner was asked by Stark not to put everything back as it was because he would yeah. have lost his daughter more. Yeah. Obviously, usually what we do is we go in and tiptoe through the film and then come to our final thing. Let's fucking chuck that on his head. We've said we had some reservations going in. Personally, by the time I went in, I was actually buzzing with excitement because someone who works for a certain American movie website who was able to go to the 26th of June premiere, he actually messaged me and said, look, 
I know you've got concerns, you've got nothing to worry about. He said, it's up to standard. That's all I was told. I thought, okay, trust your opinion. Didn't ask more than that. I thought, okay, that's one person's opinion. I know a lot of people whose opinions I respected, like Captain Marvel. I was like, mm, I don't necessarily agree with it. But I was hearing other little bits of word of mouth, trying my damnedest to avoid spoilers. By the time I went in, I was actually thinking, do you know what? And another person, big shout out to Becky Diana, who works for international marketing at Sony Pictures from the very start when she first saw the earliest cut of Spider-Man Far From Home. She's been singing the praises of this film, saying, and I quote, it's her favourite Spider-Man film and possibly her favourite superhero film. Wow. I so by the time I went in, I thought, yeah, okay, reservations aside, I think this is going to be a very good film. Coming out of it, how do we feel? Flawed. Absolutely. The film floored me three times. I just, oh, was, flawed as in, yeah, oh, flawed. thank God. Right. <laughs> no, as in, amazing. Sorry, I should Okay, so anyway, that. a bit of that backstory. When um, we decided to get Chris in so he can finally do his, uh, get his prize and come on the podcast, mm-hmm. and this, we decided that it would be a Marvel film. We've got balloons for you after. Yeah. <laughs> Chris actually said, well, you know, I'll, I'll travel down. I'll watch it with you. And we actually, Chris and I went to see the film. Richie was supposed to come as well, but again, you know, duty called. He was elsewhere. Humanitarians. Yeah. I, I was out of the country at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, I I went to see it with you, and there's no two ways about it. We were absolutely flawed. Yeah. It was probably the the most I've enjoyed a standalone Marvel film since the likes of Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which probably still might be my favorite MCU film. Yeah. Not to the same degree, but yeah, as a standalone film, and like you say, it definitely is a sort of introduction to the next phase of Marvel. I'm amazed how well they pulled this off. That's where I divert slightly, because I loved the film, I thought it was absolutely fantastic, but I take some issue with the scrolls. Again, but that's going way to the yeah. end, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But so where you say about where it's taking it forward, this was a perfect epilogue to Endgame. This is the, it's a fantastic end to Phase Three. Where where I sit at the end of it is, I'm not sure how much I want to see at the moment Phase Four based on that because I'm not sure that I like the idea of rug pulls with characters. You know, there's questions now. How long has Nick Fury been Nick Fury? How long has he been? Apparently, according to Kevin Feige, it's not long. This is a yeah. this is a recent thing. That's because I there was mention I saw I read today actually whereby in there's a there's a throwaway line in Captain Marvel whereby uh, Nick Fury says I hate sandwich sandwiches cut in triangles and in Age of Ultron he's eating a sandwich cut in a which of a triangle. So it, it seemed a, it seemed a strange thing to say. Mm. Based on on a, on a bit of a scene from a film whereby it, it, it's an odd reference yeah. to make. So, what I hope is that they don't now sort of. I'm not looking forward to any rug pulls whereby we're going to change what we've had already. Whereby Can I just stop you for a sec. Endgame, us three talking, and the late Jim Carl, and we were all like, "Time travel, don't do it." And they yeah. did it. And they did it. It worked yeah. like and it worked. <laughs> So I know what you're saying, and I'm like, initially, and I'm probably I'm giving them the benefit on this one. Mm. Because every we, time I start yeah. thinking, ah, oh, yeah, but, and trying to sort of second yeah, guess yeah, them, yeah. they come on just slapping the chops and just make me look silly. Yeah. Yeah. I've said time and time again, I can watch something like Game of Thrones and be bitterly disappointed with the writing of the final season and say, do you know what? Any number of even passive Game of Thrones fans could have sat down with all of those great characters and come up with a better, more satisfying conclusion than that. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone outside of Kevin Feige and his team of writers and directors and, and filmmakers that can do what they're doing. No. And if Warner anyone... Brothers have proved it, that they can't do the same with the DCEU, no matter who they get on board. You know, Sony Pictures are have to step in and, and, and make this agreement with Marvel. The Marvel will come in and creatively be in charge of these new Spider-Man films for them because 
as they proved with Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, they just can't handle the character. They don't know how to make an effective and, and, a, and a decent Spider-Man film anymore. Marvel Studios are doing something that no one else is doing. We've got a 23 film franchise now that is... As, oh, yeah. that 12 is, years we're coming towards? Yeah, we were in the... Well, we're, 11th year now, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, we're in the 11th year of the MCU. I was expecting this to be... Not a blip, but just a come down after a, a wonky, the... A wonky showing. Yeah. yeah. Sure sure. I've got to say it. Apart from that very last moment, the, this, the, the end-end credit scene where you know a bit of confusion is thrown into the mix that may be explained later on, I think the film was just absolutely... It was a joy from start to finish. The person that gave me the heads up, the only detail they said was the film is loaded towards the back end and as the film goes on, it gets better. When it got to that, the end credits... And I turned to you, Chris, and I was like, holy shit, that was brilliant. And then we had the first post-credits, yes. which oh. at that point, whatever the film was, in my mind, jumped up another whole point. And I was thinking, I cannot fault, I, I, can't, I cannot pick fault with this film. It has completely blown away my expectations. It's proven that even after something as just spectacular and perfect as Endgame, they can still give me something I want and still get me excited about future Marvel films. And not on such a grandiose scale as well, because that's the other thing. Yes. Once, once you get to the sort of Infinity War stage and the Endgame stage, it's like, this is what we've been building up to. This is the sort of the, the magnum opus, if you like. This is the, the big you know, finale. To then come back with something, because this is really, again, a self-contained story. Let's be yeah, honest. It has it references. Is. It has shows the aftermath and stuff yeah. like that. It, but this is really... If Sony had decided to make this film and take it out the references to uh, the snap or the blip and Tony Stark's Stark Stark death, yeah, it is a standalone film, but it also does something very clever in itself as well. Is build, yeah. it's building the character up, um, and that's something that they later allude to and in, also, into something as well. Not to comp- contradict what you're saying, Neil, because you're right. If you take away all of those other things, but with those other things, it also is the perfect sort of counselling session after Endgame. Yeah, you see in the characters grieving, which is what, which is I want. I didn't want a film of everyone crying because they can't get over Tony Stark's death. Mm. But there had to, he was such an important part. There had to be that, and the fact that it wasn't the first third of the film, and then then Peter's over it, and then he cracks on with his adventures. You see it throughout the film. He has these quiet moments where he's questioning whether or not he should be doing what he's doing. And and I always liked Spider-Man Two, Sam Raimi Spider-Man Two, and how that echoed uh, Superman Two with the giving up of the powers and choosing the normal life. What this did was put a new spin on that because it used the grief of Tony Stark and also it brought in the fact that he's he's a kid. He's a mm. he's a schoolboy. He's not he's not a married man. He's not someone who's choosing his family life over being a superhero. He wants to be a kid. At the end yeah. of the day, he wants to tell this girl that he likes her. He's got world saving to do and he can't be a kid. And like you say, it's it's not even so much the case of why can't I just have a normal life like everyone else? It was I'd like to try and enjoy a normal life first, you know. Yeah. It was like like you say but then we had that at the end of um, we had that at the end of Spider-Man: Homecoming because he was offered the role of an Avenger. Yeah. What he what he thought that that was all he wanted. He thought that's what he wanted, but he turned it down at the end. And then obviously there was the there was Tony Stark made light of it. And it was only a joke and all the rest of it. But actually there was a baying crowd of reporters on the other side of the screen. It just shows how well they're handling this character because that is an ongoing theme ever since the original Spider-Man. He's always been a teenager or he's struggling with these responsibilities. It's in the lines. I'm not going to say it. And that theme carries on 
throughout this movie, and it, it's it's brilliantly done. But the, the wonderful thing about this, I think they're doing now, is they're giving us a new version of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they tried to do it a little bit with the Garfield films, where you know Peter's dad had died in some sort of mysterious crash, and there was some sort of secret society that was out to mm-hmm. from the start, and he was always Spider Man, or there was some sort of implication there, mm-hmm. and, well, and it was taking it too far. I like the fact that. Whether we've got a multiverse or whether we haven't got a multiverse was never really confirmed in the film, was it? No, no but, we, but we know that we have because the Great One says it in Doctor Strange. Yeah, but what yeah. I'm saying is from Peter's point of view. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're almost getting like our version of Spider-Man. Like you know, like I say, the kids now are getting their version of Spider-Man. Yeah. Like you say, we're not getting we're getting a sort of different spin on everything yeah. with this. I mean, I'll jump way ahead. The other sort of sting at the end. Now the whole world knows who Peter Parker. Yeah. You know, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Now the whole world knows that Jonah Jameson is back in. Yeah, yeah. But rather than being the Daily Bugle... Yeah, it's the Daily Bugle.net. Yeah. And yeah. to bring him back as some sort of like Alex Jones sort of InfoWars character, yeah, yeah. I thought it was just inspired. It, you was, know? Out, it was outstanding. There was the similar kind of response in the cinema when we saw that to almost when Cap grabbed the hammer. Mm. It was a... The, the, maybe not as much. I'd say the opposite. The showing we were in, it was packed. That is the most I've seen an audience clap in the cinema. And like I keep saying... British cinema audiences are far too reserved for my liking sometimes. Agreed. Um, you know, there's moments in certain films where I, I'm like, Neil, you've seen me doing it. Yeah. Uh, where I've been, I've been either just laughing to the point where I have to then start clapping in order to add even more approval. The last Rambo film when Hedgehog oh, exploded, you and I, oh, I thought we were going to yeah. have to leave. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as soon as J.K. Simmons turns up okay. on that screen... And it wasn't just the fact that it was him, which was just amazing. It was the fact that everything that meant in an instant. This Peter Park has been gifted from the start. There was no build-up. There was no... Yeah, he was doing his own thing in, you know, in... Uh, where is he from? Brooklyn or Queens? Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. And then all of a sudden, Tony Stark, who becomes aware of him, swoops in and says, Here you go, kid. Uh, you're coming with me to uh, Germany and you're going to literally uh, become very quickly uh, an honorary Avenger. And from there on in... This iteration of, of Peter Parker is gifted with everything. He's got his father figure, which is filling in for the fact that you know he's lost his own parents and then Uncle Ben, we would assume. He happens to be the, the brightest and one of the richest and, and most privileged men in the world. He's taking him under his wing, giving him all of this amazing stuff. He then is crucial in saving the universe after half of it's been destroyed. And he's got everything going for him. This isn't the familiar Spider-Man town. Yeah, certainly. It's, for, it's, not, it's, not, yeah. it's not the Peter Parker we know. That's right. The Peter Parker he's who is the downtrodden the, yeah. poor kid who was the better yeah. jokes. The you vigilante know. who is who is you know trying to you know evade the police and whatever. He's got J. Jonas Jameson saying you know bring me the head of Peter Parker and you know getting the, the public against and if, him. If you look at sort of Raimi Spider-Man, it's classic. You know, mm. Tobey Maguire. There's sort of classic sort of Saturday morning cartoon yeah. Peter Parker that we grew up with. If you look at Garfield Spider-Man, and I got to say, as much as people knock Garfield, I didn't mind Garfield as Peter Parker. It was, it, it was almost sit, sitting somewhere in between Raimi's version of Parker and the Parker we're getting now with Tom Holland. I don't think they, run I don't. Holland, I yeah. don't think they're great films, but I don't think Garfield was actually doing that bad a job. It was yeah. set up to fail a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah, the film was never. But it was sort of sitting carry. somewhere in between where he mm. was. Tommy Maguire's Parker is a geek. Mm. Garfield's Parker is almost like sort of like the cool geek, the geek yeah. sheet, the different kid, the goth kid, or whatever, or you know, yeah. the metal kid, or whatever. You know, he's different to everyone else. He stands out like a sore thumb, but he's kind of cool. He was on yeah. a skateboard. You know, he had the sort of like he had the right hairstyle, he had yeah, the, yeah. You know, the baggy shirt and all that stuff. Tom Holland's Parker, like you see, is almost being gifted everything. He's not the nerdy kid, but he's not the jock either. He yeah. sits perfectly there. Yeah. 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 
And, and again, we've said this before about Tom Holland, pick a casting decision made by Marvel that they haven't nailed, absolutely nailed. Brie <coughs> Larson. Yeah. I was reading some, um, the casting director for Marvel is the same throughout the whole MCU. Really? And she's cast every actor and actress for those parts. It's and, like, and, wow. And, and we're talking, you, know, you talk about it's definitive act, you know, actors who are the definitive epitome of the roles. And, and I think that Tom Holland, I think that it's going to be, if the Sony Marvel deal ever comes to an end or, or, or things like that, I, I can't see it happening anytime just, soon. Sony just but, be like, literally be career suicide. Yeah, yeah, too much money. But I think that, you know, it's, with, with the beauty of Tom Holland being a bit of a Ralph Macchio, you know, looking five, six years younger than what he actually is, yeah. means that we've got Spider-Man for many years to come. Well, Kevin Feige's alluded to nine films, haven't he? Which, again, may have been a bit of a red herring now, because what he was saying was, we're going to get the three high school films, the yeah. three college films, and the three sort of, like, ad, young adult films. Right. I don't know how the college films are going to play out now with the, the, yeah. the revelation at the end, so perhaps it was a bit of a red herring. But I could, act, like you say, I could easily see yeah. nine or ten more Spider-Man movies, I, I, or at least Spider-Man featuring in it. I, I remember on, on our Infinity War conversation, we were talking about the future of the MCU, what's going to happen. It might have been our Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I questioned... Who's got who's got the shoulders to carry the MCU forward now with the characters that we know? If we lose Stark, which we didn't know we were going to, if we lose Cap, which we didn't know if we were going to, but who's got the shoulders? Because everyone is awesome supporting characters. And this film tells me that I, I would be quite happy now with a far more narrow Marvel universe for a little while because yeah. I'm really invested in Spider-Man. Really invested in. Yeah. The obvious I, thing to do, I think, Rich, is you go from one big stepping stone to another, don't you? You've got that big build-up to Endgame. The natural progression that would be we need to build to something else now. Yeah. But like you say, we don't. We can keep the, the focus now more narrow and get back to instead of these big frequent event um, movies yeah, yeah 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 like marvel comics which are great yeah marvel comics has fallen into an awful habit that started back in the early 2000s of having these big event sagas mm. that sort of take over the whole uh, marvel comics uh, series you know each individual standalone comic has, has usually got to incorporate this new event be it stuff like house of m secret invasion civil war uh, war of kings all of this stuff and, and they come in under a lot of criticism for it because it's a a formula that keeps repeating itself. Mm. Now, Kevin Feige, who has nothing to do with Marvel Comics, hopefully he will learn from that and just keep changing you know, the, yeah. the direction every now and again and changing, more importantly, the focus. I, but think, I, think, I think we sorry. might see like event movies on a smaller scale. I think we yeah. might see team-up movies. Yeah. Like you say, when you look Thor at... Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah, Galaxy. So, let's be honest, Civil War was basically Avengers 3. Yeah, yeah. of course you it know, was. But it yeah. wasn't sold that way, and it, no. didn't, it didn't actually feel that way either. The no, only way we're going to see Fear the Hulk films is if it's team-ups, because yeah. there's, not going to be in, there's not going to be independent. But I think that maybe that's part of my issue with the final credit sequence, because by the end of the first credit sequence, that film was... It was just... It exceeded my expectations, and I absolutely loved it. But that last post credits just felt a little bit like I don't need that right now. I don't. I, I, do, I don't need to know. I don't need that hint about what's to come. Yeah, but I think they've alluded so much to so much of this new phase is going to be set sort of the cosmic phase, if you mm-hmm. like, and it's set in space and stuff right. like that. That it's almost like a little throwaway that might not pay off for another two yeah. or three films. One of the know? things that I think that could be building to is Nick Fury was in charge of Shield. We saw because of things which have been going on behind the scenes due to Hydra for decades. We saw Shield get pulled apart from from the inside. Nick Fury's talents need to be put somewhere. Mm. S.H.I.E.L.D. was the Earth-based sort of thing. In the comics, you've got S.W.O.R.D., which is the space-based sort of version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nice. Is now Nick Fury, knowing the fact that we've got 
other you know off-world things uh, you know risks which go you know, beyond the planet which he needs to be at least become aware of yeah is he now trying to set up some intergalactic sort of earth-based version of shield and if it is is that what he is doing in this post-credits thing in which case i need a presence on earth says that says the talos i need you to be my man on earth mm. you know i trust you you know i've no, he's known him since 1995 isn't yeah. he so he's someone he's trust. Obviously, he's had a behind-the-scenes working relationship with him. What it does is, if this is what they're aiming for now, is it keeps all of these potentially separate things, like the Guardians of the Galaxy Thor film, which we know is coming, the next Captain Marvel film. It's a bit of interconnective tissue to those yeah. that we may well, in films to come, think, holy shit, they actually laid the groundwork for this in a Spider-Man film. Yeah, and it's, this, it's is, this is what I'm it, saying. As much as I can understand where Rich yeah. is coming from, and I was like... Do we really need that? And I was thinking, do you know what? Two, three years' time, we'll probably all be sat by here again going, do you remember we all said, do we really yeah. need that? Yeah. Because they just pay things off so well. Yeah, they, they do. do. They do. They do. You've got to have faith in them doing it. They haven't let us down yet. Yeah. So you, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be them. So the film perfectly gives us the aftermath of the, the blip, the snap, which shows that five years later, everyone that was away came back and they were now five years younger than everyone else because the rest of the Thankfully, Earth... Thankfully, all the main characters from Spider-Man homecoming. Again, that's a little bit of a plot convenience that we could brush over, but yeah. That one fucker. Yeah, well, that was great. Well, it was, it was that was Greg, funny. Was it Greg? Or yeah, Greg. Yeah. yeah, he was just like this annoying little seven-year-old or whatever. Like, yeah. no, he was like Brad. Brad, Brad sorry. yeah, it's like this hot-ribbed guy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you've you know you've got that, and then you know as we see in the pre-credit scene, you've got uh, Maria Hill and Nick Fury driving to this village that's been torn apart by something, and then you've got a very abrupt and I don't mean that in a bad way, introduction to Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. What do we think of him? I've got to be honest, I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal's been flirting around the Spider-Man film for years when he was going to replace Tobey Maguire. That's all right, those yeah. years ago, he, You sort of get the impression that along the way, Jake Gyllenhaal's had a fantastic career, he's a brilliant actor, he's done some amazing work. You kind of get the impression that along, the, along those years, he's gone, I wish I'd got that Spider-Man gig. Mm. And then someone said to him, do you want to be in Spider-Man? And he was like, fuck yeah. 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 And, and, and Disney owed him one after Prince of Persia. Didn't right, yeah. Yes. Be honest, <laughs> as, as, good, show, yeah. as good as Gyllenhaal is in numerous other films that we could talk about all night, this is his best role for me. Mm. It, I've never seen someone enjoy himself yeah. so much yeah. without falling into parody. Uh, do you know what? I he, I haven't thought of it like that, Neil, but you're right. He does skirt a fine line between he parody and... He doesn't chew the scenery. I mean, no. he everyone, always goes he... up, everyone always goes up on Nicholson's Joker. Even as a teenager watching Batman, I was like, yeah, dude, wind it in a bit. Yeah, I agree. He, d- he just walks yeah. this line brilliantly all the way through of being yeah. a sort of almost pantomime villain, yeah. but at the same stage, playing his street. I thought yeah. he was tremendous. And do you know the best thing? And correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, in the run-up to us seeing this film, I think I'd mentioned to you guys that I saw, I don't know if it was leaked, but it was certainly after the Los Angeles premiere uh, in late June, a bit of footage between what which eventually turned out to be the bit where Peter Parker and uh, Quentin Beck are sat on top of the roof having that brief conversation. And I said, guys, I've just saw a little clip now, and it's a couple of minutes of dialogue between the two, and I knew from that one scene that they'd nailed it. Anyone that's read the box knows that 
Mysterio's a bad guy. Yeah. And unless mm. they're going to twist things around like they did with the Skrulls, which is unlikely, he's going to, you know, you're waiting for the twist. Well, I was thinking, like I said earlier, is he some sort of alternate version? Are we going to get a, a yeah, bad yeah, yeah. Mysterio at the end? Because I tell you what, he did see... for his pep talks, I felt motivated by yeah, this. Yeah, I absolutely. thought, fucking hell, he's yeah. teaching me some life lessons. Because yeah. that's what he did. He was, guys, I almost handed my notes to him. When we found out he was a bad guy, it's been done before. It's just yeah. it's Aldra Killian from Iron Man 3. Yeah. He's basically yeah. been spurred by Tony Stark, and he's yeah. like, right, you bastard, I'll show you. So even after death, he was trying to but I think the, Tony. the best thing he did was, which sold his character and what he was doing behind the scenes was, was the sincerity with which he manipulated Peter, which helped sell how valid a con job he was pulling off. Yeah. He's a he's a genius level guy. But you, you, could tell, you could tell that he fitted into that, again, almost that sort of Justin Hammer type mould as well, of wanting to be Tony Stark. Yeah. I mean, the bit where he, I can't remember what the actual machine was called, now, but it was called, he, Bath, he broke it? it down to Bath. I can't remember what the acronym yeah. stood for. When it goes to the background and he stood there in a black polar neck trying to look like Steve Jobs, yeah. it was like, wow, yeah. this is like literally what they were doing with Killian, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. That yeah. reveal was incredible. And I... then he comes back, and like you say, with the beard and stuff like that, it's like, oh, he's trying to look like Tony Stark. Yeah. But, but the reveal of, of all of the staff and their previous yes. involvement. That was both clumsy exposition, but at the same time, working perfectly. Completely worked. Yeah, yeah. It's it was the a fact bit that clumsy. The other but it was it was cool. It was done in CS. But, but, it was. I was going to yeah. say, but was it supposed to be? This is a bit Columbo. I think I it was. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. was yeah. They were in on the joke. They were massively in on the joke. They really, yeah. on the joke. Yeah. really, they really were. And it was it, like so Mysterio. Well obviously, you know, once we realise what he's up to, he's the ultimate opportunist. You know, he was sacked by Tony Stark and saw the post end game. There's an overwhelming sense of superhero loss. We've lost Tony Stark, mm-hmm. Cap. Black Widow, Vision. So he ends up becoming both the creator of the threat and the saviour who com- who fought that threat. Is that something we've seen in a comic book movie before? It was like the payoff I was looking for, where someone literally, every natural disaster, every sort of like terrible event or anything like that, all, there's always some sort of low life that'll reap a reward from it. And it was like, yeah. this was the payoff for it. it was mm-hmm. a, the great thing when we were talking about the snap and the teacher was saying about how his uh, wife had pretended that she disappeared during the staff. <laughs> yeah. I know we shouldn't really laughing about this, but I, I was watching a documentary before, and it was said, how many people did After this? 9-11. Yeah, after 9-11. Loads of people did that, yeah. Literally, people were going, look, you know, pretend I'm dead, I'll fuck off to Hawaii, you yeah. can claim like, the 500 grand life insurance, yeah. come and meet me in yeah. three months. You know? That's right. People always do benefit from him. People, There's always yeah. someone who will think, how can I exploit this? Yeah, right. And it was great to see you know, that they actually thought to do this with this character. So you look at the ties right, to Tony Stark in this film, which are, there's tons of them. You know, The ghost of Tony Stark haunts this film. He's responsible, ultimately, for the thing that causes this problem in the first place, the technology yeah, yeah. and the poor treatment of his staff. Even dead, I'm the hero. Edith. Even dead, I'm the hero. Yeah. Love it. What you were saying there, Neil, about the opportunist, we've seen that with Adrian Toomes in Spider-Man Homecoming, where yeah. after the 2012 Battle of New York, him and his team of, you know, his clean-up crew... Are making money. Uh, yeah, they're making money from, from all of this technology. At first, legitimately, and then when Tony Stark's people step yeah. in and rip the rug from under them and treat them poorly... That causes him then to become the villain. Uh, we say if you look at Stark, he's the most flawed hero in the world, isn't he? Like you say, yeah. for the amount of, I mean, ultimately he pays off. He, you know, brings half the universe back to life. But for the amount of things he's done right, if you look at this one now, yeah, we've got Homecoming, Ultron. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's made a few yeah. missteps. Like it's it's all been be... done with the best of intention, yeah. but yeah. it quite often goes wrong, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so it was like an, an extra layer that Tony Stark was unintentionally the cause of this threat. And then, you know, the, the way that Quentin Beck is so damn sincere and, and convincing, even though we know it's a ruse, it's just like, yeah, you know, I, I come from 
universe, whatever. I almost didn't want him to be the bad guy. No, there was a part yeah. of me thinking, yeah. do you know what? I am now happy that if they turn around and like, you know, this this threat is genuine or this the, the actual real uh, source of this threat is coming from something else and I'm actually here to help. Or if he was just a figurehead of that, yeah. of that, or, of that team and he said, guys, you know, we can't do this Either anymore. way, like every good bad guy, we like him yeah. for, for whatever oh, reason, yeah. but he's, he's an enduring villain and at the end where it's unclear as to whether or not he survived... I hope he does yeah. because you you don't want to kill off a villain as good as this. No, you don't. You, 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 that'd yeah. be a waste of him in one yeah. film. Black Panther. I, I, want when to, he, I want to see him and Hammer. Yeah. When, when, when he killed off Killmonger, you know, he'd, he'd gone to such a dark place that killing him off was the only way they were going to go. But people were already saying, oh, "Are we going to see Killmonger coming back?" Because he was such a just a well-rounded villain. Mysterio. They've been they've been in a position where no, we can easily justify bringing him back because of the very nature of what he was doing. His death could have easily been just a, another illusion, and a dangerous, exactly. kind of, a sort of dangerous sort of choice to make with him as well, because it must have been. Because I know Raimi floated around using Mysterio quite a lot, didn't he? Yes, he did, and he just couldn't get the even fit, couldn't they, get the fit in. They went as far as the the pre-production stage, and I've actually seen storyboards of Mysterio being defeated, and when they actually unmask him and take the helmet off, Bruce Campbell is playing him. Wow! Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, happy about that. What do we think of the illusions that he hit Spidey with? That was incredible. The whole cinematography of it. Mm. It's what you wanted to see. It's what a Mysterio yeah. villain gives you. The ability to go totally out there, confuse and trick people with all these illusions. And, and the way that was done on screen reminded me of like the, mm. the old like psychedelic Steve Ditko stuff and, and the, the Doctor Strange. He was, like, was like watching the best version of a Saturday morning cartoon some of the episodes yeah, where Mysterio yeah. would come in there yeah. and obviously when you've got animation they can do whatever you know the world's yeah. an oyster to do that in a film I found it quite, the, the first sort of bit what he did I was like well wait on this is a bit jarring though because I've got to be honest the sort of optical illusions of the water monsters and stuff like that I'm still a little bit lost with all, how this works with the drones and stuff like that it's, it's holographic technology holographic technology yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were certain other bits like if it's holographic technology how the hell does he fly up to the roof to sit down and give Peter a pep talk because he has a hologram of himself. Yeah, um, you know, he, yeah but he's touching right, people he's on the shoulder and giving him hugs and stuff. So I was kind of like, what, what's going on here? You know? Uh, oh, it could be on a drone, sat on a drone. Yeah, it could be, yeah, a it could drone. be sat on yeah, a drone. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. Either it's, way, yeah. So right. I'm not picking <laughs> holes. No, I'm not picking buying, holes. Buying the, the, the validity of that technology and how it all works so perfectly is a big ask. But... But so we know that I'm crashing it. Yeah, but I was kind of going like, well, yeah, okay, I can understand like other causing damage, they're setting like mild explosions here and stuff like that. I'd seen the, the the water dude, I've seen the hurricane dude, do I need to see the fire dude? And it was getting a bit samey, and then you see all of a sudden then to flip it and yeah. sort of almost put him in his own, put Spider-Man in his yeah. own nightmare. So I was more looking forward to that scene. We've seen enough movies where superheroes fight monsters and aliens and they're all breathtaking we, we, we know they do that really really well I was more excited about seeing Mysterio's mind games yeah. and mm. the way they're going to do it and it, did it disappoint me absolutely not I was blown away fact, there's a scene where it kind of zooms out and he's Spider-Man's trapped in like a snow globe of New York and there's and then when Iron Man comes out from that the was like grave, the very best covered in spiders and it's, yeah. it's scary he's crawling towards and again, him and again let's be honest yeah. so we're saying these films are geared towards younger audiences as much as like us grown men like I was talking about it to put a zombie Iron Man in there yeah, it's quite yeah. a brave yeah. decision huge yeah. decision yeah and it's a nice little nod to Marvel zombies they're never going to be that would be awesome moving away then just to the core cast from the first film what do we think of, and this is going to probably, we're going to have to address some controversy about the recasting of, of, of or, 
or the casting of certain people in previously established roles of a certain gender or, or race. And mainly by that, obviously, I mean Zendaya, who has now filled the Mary Jane role. Okay, she's MJ, but is she Mary Jane? If we're getting eight or nine more films, perhaps there's going to be a Mary Jane character. If she is Mary Jane, I haven't got a problem with her anyway. And it's like, like I was saying to you earlier about the, the Little Mermaid sort of controversy now, yeah. and all of a sudden we've got a sort of mixed race of a black mermaid. All these people that are going on about, you know, oh, this is ruining their childhood and stuff like that. They're the same middle-aged women that had no problem at all with Jason Momoa becoming Aquaman exactly. because he looks yummy. So exactly. it's like, just get a life. Yeah, Jason Momoa is not a blonde white dude. I haven't heard any complaints about him as Aquaman. I'll be honest, Aquaman's not a great film, but Jason Momoa is because fantastic. he's so damn charismatic. He's fantastic yeah. as that character. Yeah, I, I think I think with with MJ, you know, that was the little sort of reward at the end of the film, was it? Because it was yeah. Michelle. I think her name, the character's name, is Michelle. But I'll, my friends call me MJ. The fact that she's not white with ginger hair, I got no issue with it at all. It's just it, it's a modern, much in the same way that does Spider Man have organic web shooters or does he have? Manufactured ones. Yeah, it, it's it's a facet of, a, but, of, of but, the character name is yeah, is, is yeah. the thing, but actually the characters are very different. I enjoy the chemistry. I personally, right, and I don't. I think we all agree on this. I don't give a shit who the person is. No. If you're taking a character like the ancient one, who is like this sort of Oriental male old guy, yeah, and replacing him with a much younger white woman. I don't give a shit because ultimately what they've done there is they've written a fantastic character that when she returned in Avengers Endgame that was one of my favourite parts of yeah. the film because the ancient one is such a just a really well-rounded well-acted character by, yeah. by Tilda Swinton what they've done here is they've dumped the, the, the red-headed sort of hay tiger you know sassy MJ what we've got now is Zendaya with this really cocky, sort of overly sarcastic girl, but it's only a thin layer, like a veneer, and underneath you can see how vulnerable she is. Exactly, the scene yeah. at the end on the bridge in London. Yeah. I, I buy her hook, line, and sinker. I've heard some people criticising her portrayal and her acting skills. I don't. I really she, like her. She fits into this new iteration of Spider-Man. She does. Man. She Absolutely. does. And this is the thing, like I said, we're not getting the classic Spider-Man. We're not getting the classic story. We don't need to. When Sony were going along the Andrew Garfield route, everyone was criticising them, saying, we've already seen this, we don't need another origin story, we don't need yeah. this, we don't need that. It's the same with the Batman films. Mm. Like I said to you with Justice League, if they'd, never, if they'd just literally done a two-minute introduction of Batman, that was all you needed. You've yeah. got an established character, that's all you need. Tom Holland, the homecoming, we never got to see a radioactive spider biting him. Yeah. It was right. a throwaway line. Yeah. Yeah. That's and all we need. The chemistry between Tom Holland and Zendaya... It's perfect. It bounce off each other so well. And, and I think that the, one of the things that they've done so well with this is that we, we could quite easily have played it safe to an extent whereby their relationship, you know, or will they, won't they, are they gonna, is he going to, oh, he doesn't quite get to tell her by the end of it and it's something which will be safe for a later film when they're a bit older and everything like that. They, they, they are playing it so well that the characters, they are progressing, we are seeing development of yeah. the characters. It's giving us a better story. story because you, you, you're almost falling into the trap of, well, they obviously won't pay her off in this film because X, Y and Z needs to happen yeah. first. Mm. He obviously, you know, won't do this because he has to work at the Daily Bugle. Yeah. And it's like, it's nice because you've got these rug pulls, but it's furthering the characters on. And to go back to what you were saying about the casting thing, the cynical side of me could say, yeah, perhaps they introduced a, a black actress instead or whatever to try and score some points. I don't think they needed to. And, I, you know, I, I don't think they need to do that. I don't think Marvel have a sort of real history no, of doing that anyway. I, but like you say, if you're going to replace the ancient one, if you're going to do whatever... 
it works in every fashion. You could say now, well, you know, uh, a black actress has replaced a white, uh, replaced a white actress in the same way that a white woman has replaced an oriental ge older yeah. gentleman. It doesn't really matter as long as the character's well rounded. And that's, that's the only. It. I was going to say that's the only part. When yeah. we get remakes and we get, oh, we're going to do the latest one now. Oh, we're going to do a, a female version of the mask and stuff like that. It's like, dude, yeah. you've tried it. It doesn't work. Build your own characters. And coming back, and that's what they're doing with this. They're building their own characters. Right. She might be Mary Jane, or she might just be another character called MJ. But they've built their own their own character. Either way, she fulfills matter. exactly the same purpose yeah. as MJ. Yeah. Spider-Man's girlfriend is MJ. That's all we know. That's yeah. all we need to know. But then yeah. you also got Gwen. the one that broke his heart was Gwen Stacy. Yeah. She got killed. Yeah. No, there's there's fluidity to the characters based on years of like backstory. But at the same time, you can also take things in a newish direction. But still, you know, you're not making any radical changes. Nice, it's you know, still Goldeneye M was a female. Yeah. It was that thing of it was and and you would you you bought you know you bought her as M it was yeah. it was new it was different but it was the character M wasn't a person it, no, was, it was a role a, exactly. like Q yeah. quarter, quick me like, yeah. quartermaster quick yeah. me if I'm wrong as well talking about taking it a new direction the scene where she kind of knows he's Spider Man I loved. Yeah. Like, I was like 67 she was percent sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that, 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 exactly. Yeah. That was so was well perfect. done. Like, I, I was, I was sick. She was <laughs> thrown by the fact that he's admitted to it. Yeah, and I was going to say, how many times have we watched various superhero films and gone, come on, what? You put glasses on so everyone's just thought you Clark Kent? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you know, especially that. in this day and age now. I mean, let's be honest, everyone's got a great fucking camera in their yes, pocket on them all the time. Yeah. How many times does Spider-Man go and sit on a building and mournfully look out of the moonlight yeah. and take his mask off? Yeah. It's, it's a given. It's going to happen at least 16 times hey, in every Spidey, film. smile. Smile, yeah. right? We all yeah. got Zooms on our phones and got as well. And again, how many times would things be filmed you know, without even realising exactly, it's yeah. Spider-Man in the background. But so I, it works, you know? I, th I think what it does is, is with, with the reveal then for Spider-Man at the end, what this does is, is again, it's playing on Tom Holland's sort of immaturity, on his, on his naivety, because he thinks that now MJ knows who he is, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be good. And actually where, what the spin is, is on the first, you know, this is the last film of Phase 3, the first film... In phase one, we had I, uh, we had Tony Stark stand up saying, "I am Iron Man." His choice to reveal himself yeah. to the world. Now, what we've got is is the person who he's nominated. We've got his successor to the throne of the leader of the Avengers, who has had that decision taken out of his hands. So it's a complete flip on what we had yeah, in the yeah. first and one. I think ultimately, as much as it was almost obvious that he was being set up as Stark's successor, this is what's going to prove for him not to be Stark's successor. Well, yeah, he's going to go through some stuff, isn't he? But I think yeah. as well is how much of the reveal of this was actually Quentin Beck finally getting his own back on Tony Stark because Tony Stark gifted uh, Peter Parker with, with his fortune, basically, isn't he? Yeah. You are my successor. So ultimately, the greatest uh, way of ruining Tony Stark's dying wish is now to turn him over to the wolves and set him up. I do know what Neil you were saying earlier on about Tony Stark. For every bit of good he does, he does, a bit, he does something foolish or careless yeah. with the best intentions. We've set up that he loves Peter like a son. And when he, when he lost him, it broke his heart. He then, having had his, for want of a better word, son brought back to him, knowing then that he's going to die, and he's putting things in, you know, very quickly, you know, putting things together for like a, a, a succession plan, he again does something foolish. Because he entrusts all of this technology and all of this power to a 16-year-old kid. Yeah. If he wasn't being led by his heart, straight away he would have said, T'Challa, here you go, mate. Yeah. You are by far yeah, the, yeah. the smartest, most capable, most sensible and well, able well, person. He's not going to turn this... Exactly. Because if you turn that over to yeah. Nick Fury, the, the problem being is, will he nuke the planet yeah. 
just to just just to win the war. Exactly. You, know? you don't give that power to someone who's as paranoid as Nick Fury. You give it to T'Challa because he is the person that is most able and likely to be stepping up and, and, and leading the Avengers. And he's the one I personally want to see because he's, he should be the new Iron Man. He should. Man. He should be yeah. the new Iron Man. Even though he's not as flawed and hasn't got the same charisma, we all like him. He is a great character. And well, he's been trained all his life to do that. Of course he, he, he has. He was born a prince to become a king. Wasn't yes, he? and he's instead of being king. a king now, I'm going to lead this team of superheroes. Yeah. How cool would that be? And then alongside that, then you've got equal roles of prominence going to the likes of Doctor Strange, who is obviously the one that looks after all the supernatural, sort of magical, mysterious side of things. And then you're going to have Captain Marvel also fit in a certain bill, and she's going to be the one leading the fight out into space alongside Thor and the Guardians. But, but like you said, it is that thing of it is. It comes down to what is Tony Stark's greatest regret, greatest sort of issue is that the issue is that what he had with his father, where he actually found some resolve within Endgame. Yeah by revisiting and speaking to his dad as a young man and actually realising that actually that Howard was so incredibly proud of him and everything so he had that so it was kind of he was almost riding that wave of I need to be that this yeah. person who I've already let down yeah. I can now give him everything and it but was you, a misjudgment as well that he knew that as much as Tony Stark did the, the, the I am I am Av, which fits perfectly with his character yeah, his totally. ego and stuff like that that came to back to bite him on the ass big time a few times didn't it you mm. know and like you say when you've got um, mm-hmm. the uh, the man who blew up his house, you. yeah, you know he's giving out his address and stuff like that. Yeah. He became Spider Man had anonymity, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He had the mask yeah. at all times, like, and, you know. and, he's, and and to bring it straight into this time, it's going to come out, isn't it? It yeah. is because you can't have mm-hmm. you can't have somebody who's he's not as you know as they say he isn't just the friendly neighbour Spider Man. He saved the world, bitch. He's been to space, kind of thing. Oh, you know? great, oh, I love so, that line. great line. But but the point is, as you say, he is going to be. There's there's a camera on every street corner. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. got a camera in their pockets. And again, you know, when she just said like we were in Washington and yeah. that happened, and well, you were there, yeah. it's like it's instantly like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I reckon at least. 30% of that class would have gone, do you know, I think Peter Parker, Spider-Man, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 for me, it actually pays off. It's shocking they've done it this early. Yeah. Throws out my preconceptions of what I'm going to get next because I'm going to watch Peter go to college and after, oh, sorry, guys, I was going to come to the beer kegger, but, you know, I had to go and save That's them all. Gone, That's all at the window. Yeah, yeah. It, speaks all gone. Vo- it speaks volumes to this new Spider-Man that we're all adjusting to where before his identity was everything he wanted to protect. And May, he wanted to protect our friends. That's why he kept it so insular. Yeah. Uh, and for that to be out there now, who knows which direction this is going to go. People have said, well, okay, so what? Captain America, Iron Man, they were all publicly known. Their identities were known. Why does this, is this any different for Peter Parker? Well, the simple answer is... He's a kid. He's a kid. And everyone now thinks that the person that's been saving him for the last couple of months from all these huge fire, water, wind-related disasters... Has now been killed by him. Has now been killed by him. Because the truth of what he was actually doing can't be revealed. Because they'd be like, hang on, some disgruntled former employee of Tony Stark was able able to destroy cities with these drones which are floating above our heads. The public can't be made aware of that. So it's a perfect thing now. It's It's so clever. It's the Dark Knight. It is. It's It's actually what we were saying when we were doing the commentary of the Dark Knight. That's the only bit where you go, why does he have to be the bad guy? Why does he have to be the bad guy? I still stand by that. Yeah. Yeah. And with this one, it's like, straight away you go, yeah, he has to be the bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) He has to be the scapegoat now. And, this next film now is going to be him potentially it's going to be a manhunt well he's going to be the yeah. web slinging menace that uh, John Jameson right. was always yeah. banging the desk yeah. about yeah. isn't he I you mean know? that whole cameo not only was it amazing the cameo but the timing of it 
straight after that as well. So it's like a double hammer blow. Yeah. And like and the cinema, I, I can cope. I was like, what? And, and now you, you say about wanting to keep things more focused. Yeah, we don't have to have you know, these big you know Avengers scale mashups with all of the characters involved. But certainly everyone now realizes, oh shit, the kid, he's, he's in a bit of bother now. So who is going to step up to the plate in the next film to come in and help him? Are we going to have a case of another Thor Ragnarok? Well, where, where were the rest of the Avengers during this? But coming back to this now, we, we, we are now, for the first time in 12 years, right, we are in a situation where we do not know what the next Marvel film is going to be. And yeah. the next Marvel film comes out in March next year, right? Yeah. So we've got six months, mm. or no, we've, got, we've got eight, nine months, and we don't know what's going to well, we, we know, we know that We believe, because it's been, it's been sort of, it hasn't been denied that The Eternals is coming, mm. And we know that uh, Black Widow is filming, but no, Marvel haven't said Black Widow is uh, is on the slate. That Kevin no, Feige has not yeah. admitted it. No. So there is there is not one Marvel film that is slated after. And when you you plan these films out and make it make it public, I think yeah, is a double edged sword. By now keeping us in the dark about everything. Well, that was that was a one mistake that I would say they made with Infinity War, and it was going to be part one and part two. Yeah. And if they just literally had gone Infinity War and then just left that part two out, yeah, can you imagine the impact that would have had at the end of that yeah, film? Because yeah, yeah. we all knew it was great. It was, you know, like I say, to me, it's the Empire Strikes Back of superhero films. It's yeah. that sort of dark ending of, oh, did we just lose? But we knew 12 months later we're going to have some sort of resolution. Yeah, yeah. yeah we knew the Spider-Man film was coming as well, yeah. didn't we? So. so that's what I mean. So I, we know now. I don't think they're going to make the same mistakes again. Well, we've got next San Diego Comic Con next week, haven't we? And they've yeah. got a, a ninety-minute slot, Marvel, yeah. haven't they? And oh, wow. that's where we're going to find out the slate. They're going to, you know, we're going to have announcements for the next it's, two. This years is where they bring Keanu Reeves on the stage. Yeah, this, this oh, is wow. this is yeah. where and, we're going to have Dwayne Johnson. Being serious, you guys, we don't know what they're going to do, and that's no. the beauty no. of it. We yeah. don't know what they're going to do. They've surprised us with this film. They're not perfect, and as you know, Captain Marvel proved certainly for us. I know there's obviously you know that film has got a strong following. They don't always get it right, but compared to every other franchise, do you know what? Heads, well, let's put it this They didn't get it right for us, True. Captain Marvel. Yeah, let's start that's right. They didn't get it right. They yeah. didn't get it right for us. No, that's right. I just I I love the fact with you take that cameo, J. J. Jonah Jameson cameo at the end. I realize you know that could have been filmed in in an afternoon in a shitty little studio somewhere and all that you know. But the fact is, that goes to prove that you can still keep a secret in Hollywood, you know? Yeah. That yeah. is, you know, we're talking about the slate being a secret and all the rest of it. You know, after everything, you know, after all that we've been through, we've seen Tony Stark die this year and I still can't bring myself to say it properly. And then that little bit at the end of that, that just, that that was the end of the film for me and that was just f- absolutely fantastic. And I don't care whether people are saying, oh, well, you know, is it the same one from the Rain It doesn't matter. It's that character. And the beauty of it is, is that is people this, believe this, that when he was Commissioner stories, Gordon... Gordon yeah. That's all we yeah. need to and Because when he was the definitive person to play him, when he went over to be Commissioner Gordon in, in DC, it was the thing of, oh, well, they've closed the door on him being in yeah. Marvel. And the rug pull they've pulled there is outstanding because they've gone, well... We, we do get our casting right, and we know that whoever we cast is never going to live up to him. And that was fan service done right, wasn't it? Yeah, that was absolutely. That yeah. was literally going, thank you for all the faith you've put into, uh, into, into our franchise, if you like. Into yeah. the character. Do you know what's also like, proved? We're going to give you something that you've always... Mm. Let's be honest, something that we'd have all sat around and gone, would it have been cool yeah. if... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We were saying that years ago, would yeah. it be cool if... All of the superheroes were got together in like yeah. some shared universe, yeah? yeah? That was just a pipe dream. Ooh. Now, we're like... Well, hang on. We've all been crying out for J.K. Simmons to be cast as J. Jonah Jameson because he owns the role. And look what happens. Yeah. And again, 
It was like he never left. He, he came in yelling, and, and it was brilliant. And he may feature it again, and he may not. And if I was, you might see him pop up, in, you know, even in other characters' films now. Can I throw a yeah. curveball out there? What universe was Venom set in? That's we, different. We, 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 we go, not go down that rabbit hole. Don't go down The real world encroaches on this contained universe, and at the moment, it's unclear. We don't know what Sony are going to do if they're going to incorporate all of these characters properly. Do you know what? If Sony did a different version of Spider-Man for a bit, I'm not saying it would work with Venom. It, it is a flawed movie. Yeah, it's I, not I a, didn't dislike it. It's not a success. Mm. Not half I like as, Tom Hardy. It's not yeah. half as bad as yeah. people are saying it's it not. was. If they took a gamble and said, like we've done with Into the Spider-Verse, we're going to cast an older Peter Parker or a Miles Morales yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, insert whatever character you want into this as a new Spider-Man... I think it could actually work. You could have Tom Holland Spider Man and Robert De Niro Spider Man yeah. <laughs> existing yeah, in two right. different worlds. <laughs> and Tom and me I'm just saying they've got a already established, although a flawed movie Venom, but they've got an already established Brock there yeah. as a Venom that, if handled well, I wouldn't mind seeing. I yeah. just say I, mean, that I just think what they might yeah. do. I think what I wouldn't mind betting you'll see is at some stage some sort of symbiote, but not Venom. Not Carnage, not one of the establishments. Even if it's just like like a Howard the Duck type thing in Guardians, yeah. where they have something dripping in the cage behind them. One, you know? one of the biggest film disappointments. Venom as a as a child in the animated school just terrified me. Yeah. That, that, and to see that wasted so poorly in Spider Man Three, uh, it's a whole different discussion. And I know. It, it still hurts. To you a know? Cer- yeah, but to a certain degree, wasted in Venom as well. I mean, that that bit at the end when he talks to the um, Thor robber and he says like, "I'll bite off your arms." Oh yeah. And he'd be rolling down the street like a little turd and stuff. <laughs> like that. But that's like that's the film I wanted to see. Just yeah. build on that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Venom. I think was well, it's a different conversation, but yeah. it was uh, censored. A yeah. bit too much. Um, and guess, would it fit into this universe? I don't know. Thing, but if anyone could pull it off, it could be them, wouldn't I it? I would think with Sony now, I think with Sony, I think they were incredibly sort of brave to go down a Venom route. And then at the last moment thought, ah, shit, let's make it a kid's film. Totally. And it didn't work anyway, because I don't know what the rating was in the US, but over here it was a 15, because I had to sneak the body. It was, I know. It was, yeah. it, so it, it, was a PG, it was a PG-13 in the US, and when it came over here, the BBFC were a little bit uncomfortable to give it a PG-13 without cutting it. So they give it a 15 rating. So I couldn't back, take my so, son. So it backfired anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. so luckily. My son was desperate to see Venom. We're going totally off now, but I can see a sequel to Venom getting the R rating and Sony going, do you know what? There's an audience there that watch it. Yeah. Because we sort of sat somewhere in between with the last one mm. and it was a massive commercial success. I mean, critically, it was panned, but it was a commercial yeah. success. Yeah. You can't doubt that. I could see him doing a sequel to Venom and going, do you know what, let's fucking fully embrace this. And we've got, you know, Woody Harrelson is coming on as Carnage and stuff like that. That could work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Venom cost... I forgot, I forgot about that twist. Venom yeah. cost $100 million and it grossed worldwide $855 wow. million. Sony... That's why there's a sequel. We're going to make a Venom sequel. Yeah, yeah. No matter yeah. What. It's already been announced. The only question is... Let's just hopefully make a good sequel. Yeah, how close are you now? Are they going to boost their relationship with Marvel Studios? Are they going to keep all of their other properties that well, they, they own? They're doing it now with the Jared Leto Morbius, aren't they? They're doing that as a standalone yeah. as well. And they're talking about bringing their mm. own sort of like dark universe. But you can't do any of that and make it stick without Spider-Man. Well, they've just, they've kind of, well, financially they've proven they can do it with Venom. Creatively. Financially, yeah. I've got a feeling they'll prove they can do it with Morbius as well. <laughs> Like you say, if you're going to do it as like building a universe, you do need a Spider-Man. Yeah, that's the thing. You're going to be looking at the Venom sequel and maybe if there's a third or whatever, everyone's going to be looking for that Spider-Man link. And I, I think that they need the Venom sequel to be a viable sequel to, to continue the franchise. It's one of those things. It is the difficult second album. Yeah. It is that thing of this. It, was a, it, was a, you know, it wasn't a huge budget. It made a ridiculous amount of money back. So their funds are there to go and do it. So now what they have to do is they have to solidify now. Okay, 
you know, we, we've got a bit of lightning in a bottle here to an extent. We need to try and build, we need to make this substantial rather than, because they're not they, going they they to, we've had the novelty. We've had the novelty. They need to pull a reverse Deadpool. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. If you look how good the first Deadpool was in yeah. comparison to the second one, we need to see this in reverse, don't yeah. we? Yeah. yeah, because that that is that, that is how they say that is how they think to themselves. Right, this character is now worthy of having yeah. Tom Holland, Spider Man, or Miles Morales, or some sort of yeah. merge with the into the Spider Verse film. I, I think just to maximise the creative success of Sony's future films. Now, what Amy Pascal over Sony Pictures needs to do is sit down with Kevin Feige. They've got a good working relationship, as far as I understand it. They they are the two people. Who, been primarily responsible for allowing this merger to happen they need to sit down and amy needs to say look kevin these are all the properties that we own we would like to keep them and we would like to reap the rewards of the profits but would you be happy to take them on board creatively make the films we'll distribute them and you have access to mc to use yeah these MC that's people. right and I mean, that's what they need to sony, do it's a no-brainer of course it, it is oh. yeah. sony get the money they don't have to worry about the creative side of things and obviously, they'll have to be a little bit more in it for Marvel Studios. They will have to have a significant cut of the profits. So you can just maintain can, the distribution. It can rights. be a win for everyone. When, when, right? when you yeah. look at the MCU and the sort of Marvel machine now, to a certain degree, if they're not making any money off standalone Spider-Man films, but they can put him into Endgame, they can put him into Infinity War, they can yeah. put him into future movies, yeah. it's, it's a wise investment. Of course it is. Yeah. So then, guys, uh, let's just do a bit of a, a wrap-up of, of Spider-Man Far From Home. What, what are your final thoughts, then? I think that they they've, they've got a great cast. They've got I, I can't pick out a character that doesn't embody a bit, sorry pick out an actor that doesn't embody their role. Great humor, great chemistry. You know the dorky teacher and the teacher who's embarrassed to be with him. They they had a fantastic camp, uh, sort of a fantastic relationship. Um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal absolutely nailed it. They, they the chemistry between Tom Holland and and, and him were, were perfect. If as you said. Um, they'd have done a bit of a flip on it and Mysterio had actually been sort of uh, not not been the main villain of it I don't think the film would have lost anything from it I think it would have worked in that and I think that makes the ultimate turn and the betrayal of Peter that that much more harder as a viewer to not to take because it's, it's, it's done badly but because you're invested in him as a character he's charismatic he's fantastic Tom Holland is running away with this character. He's absolutely brilliant. He is the definitive Spider-Man, as far as I, the definitive screen Spider-Man, as far as I'm concerned. You know, it was nicely happy getting more stuff to do. Oh, yeah, oh the, the love story. It's yeah. nicely happy. Happy, happy yeah. It's fantastic. I buy that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and happy as the new father figure for. Yeah, for, of course. You yeah. know, from being this really annoying kid that he just sort of he was really pissed off that Tony had given him the shit job babysitting. Mm. Now he's built that bond with him. He's gonna, you know, we're gonna see. Far more of happy than what we've seen up until now. We're going to see that character fleshed out. They really, we are. I think that they, that everything they did in that film, they did right. It was, it was perfect. My, my, my grumble at the end of the of the final post credit, it didn't, it didn't sour the movie for me at all. It did make me question. Well, I don't, as I said before, I don't like the idea that they can turn on and say, well, you know, the Nick Fury that you've seen in the last few films, it wasn't really Nick Fury. I, I don't, don't like that. Gonna, I don't no, think it's going to be. And I, I hope that that's not going to yeah. be it. Didn't need that, but I do like, you know, as you know, we unpack things, don't we? And I like the conversation about it, and I like the thought, well, actually, the suggestions you've had about what that could be, and we've got have to have every faith in them. I would have been happy with the first post-credits thing to be the end of the film. That there was a massive punch in the air it's so it's not so much better than i expected i'm just so happy that it was as good as i hoped it would be it was yeah. it was brilliant if you were to tell me that i would see a better spider-man film than the multiverse film i would have said no but then i went to the cinema i was expecting a standalone almost subverted my expectations and floored me three times 
The twist at the end was phenomenal. I love the cameo. The scenes where Mysterio transports into the nightmare world, absolutely incredible. I loved... And the, the third one, I think, was the bit where... Civil War. The Civil War time. We haven't mentioned yeah. The Civil War time. In Civil War, you need something to establish or to re-establish Tony's uh, issues with his father. Because obviously later on in the film, when we find out that the Winter Soldier yeah. has killed him, it becomes relevant. The one thing that they put too, maybe not too much, but they put a lot of stock in was that technology and that whole scene of him demonstrating the holographic mm-hmm. stuff. You think, was that really necessary? At the point where... I never picked the, up on that. I know you did. You were very. You, do, you, were, you yeah. said it straight away. During the expert, I did. I turned to you. I said, yeah. "Now all of that makes sense." Yeah. Did they think back in 2015, 2016, when the film actually came out? Obviously, it would have been written way before that. Were they planning that far yeah. ahead? The cinema clapped at that moment when yeah. when the reveal. And not only yeah. does that scene, it justifies Mysterio. It, it gives him like a backstory. In ten seconds, that yeah. is perfectly believable. I, I don't know how Absolutely much. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, how much of this is down to Chris McKenna, the writer, yeah. or John Watts, the director, or yeah. Kevin Feige just giving them luck? Yeah. Throw this in. And, I was going to say, yeah. if you look at now the amount of different writers and the different directors yeah. we've had, yeah, for every one of them, really to nail it, and even the weaker films have got callbacks, yeah. you know, nail certain scenes. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be funny. I was, be. I was worried be. about yeah, the Mysterio yeah. backstory because he's one of my favourite uh, villains, as yeah. I alluded to earlier. And when that scene came out, all my worries washed away because it was. And not only that, it added to that Columbo scene you mentioned earlier because obviously he had a set of background yeah. staff as well. It was a different company that Tony Stark bought, we presume. So it just adds so yeah. much more weight to it. And when a film can do that to you three times, yeah. and you, you didn't expect it, it's top notch. We, we've said so many times that the, the beauty of these films are that the story <laughs> makes sense. That within the, within the two hours of the film is that the stuff that happens at the beginning or the middle pays off at the end. And we've, we're doing it again. We're, we're talking three, four years down the line. Payoffs. We're talking mm, yeah. that, that little bit, as you said, questionable. You know, how relevant is it kind of thing? It was, was, it, was it just sort of demonstrating his, his excess and all the rest of it at the time? Actually, now that became the main villain drive within this film. It's, mm. it's just, it is so well thought out. Every single, this is, continues to be the blueprint for like every it, franchise. It's so sort of well thought out. The little things like... Why does Night Monkey, which I thought was a great name, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll, he's all right to take his mask off and speak to uh, Mysterio in a bar before he knows his true identity yeah, and stuff like that. And just things like that that I would use, you know what I'd like. Right? How many times we come out of the cinema and we'll go, that was all right. And, and by, then, the time, by the time we get to the car park, I've already started picking yeah, up his name yeah. and ripping the shit out of everything. Right? Yeah. Things like that cross my mind as I'm watching this film. I go, don't care. Mm-hmm. Don't care. Because I'm just enjoying it so much, like, you know? But, but, but narratively Peter Parker is so desperate for that Tony Stark figure he's so desperate yeah. for that his guard is dropped right down and he's going to take those risks that he wouldn't have taken before because he's desperate for that father figure because he's so because yeah. he's caught up in grief so he's going to take those extra and risks and Nick Fury's on his side as well so that probably swayed Peter as well yeah, yeah absolutely well if it was well it wasn't Nick Fury but but just, yeah I, I think John Marks Kevin Feige and you know everyone else involved in this they're spinning a hell of a lot of plates it's a sequel to Homecoming. It's a perfect sort of come down epilogue, epilogue like, to, yeah. to, to end epilogue. game, and it's it, also a sort of kickstart. Yeah, so it's paving <laughs> it's paving away now for a changed MCU after Endgame. The thought now that I haven't got Captain America, that I haven't got Iron Man, it almost scares me a bit that I haven't got Iron Man anymore. I haven't got Captain America anymore. It almost scares me a bit that everyone knows who Peter Parker, the Peter Parker is Spider Man. But by the same token, I'm kind of like scared excited because right. I'm like, this is going Neil, way me, off track. Let me take you through the multiverse into a different dimension. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where Endgame took the, the safe route. 
and we had Tony Stark afterwards and we maybe lost one or two fringe characters you wouldn't be happy with that would no, you? No I wouldn't be yeah. completely like I said but like but, I say with this it was always like you always knew that even if a film was a bit wonky this would lead to something and it's like Cap and Steven you know Thor's going to come back and you almost have that sort of security blanket and I kind of like the fact now that more and more I'm getting that ripped away from me because more they, more, they did we always had several options we always had they'll either go the safe route and they'll actually keep Cap and Tony alive they'll kill Cap who might be the obvious one or they'll go the really ballsy one and kill off Tony Stark yeah they did option four which we never considered yeah. they killed off one and they go into the other yeah yeah Holy shit, you know? The other thing that I, I really, really like about the end of this is that we've gone 22 films, always building towards the next big thing where it's always teasing towards the next and we've got more characters coming in, those are the big team up and everything is that. This is the first time, I think, that you get to the end of it and my thoughts are, I can't wait to see the next Spider-Man film. I yeah. can't wait to see what mm. happens with this with these few characters, not I can't wait to see when he sees the Hulk and he. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's gonna be great when it happens, but by the same token, I can watch two or three more Spider-Man. I need films. to see what happens with Peter Parker and how do they get out of this situation? Not let's look for the next big team. I, was, I don't need to see him team up. But what you've got to think now is that the, this film has ended, and the peril and the concern is our Peter, little Peter, who's Spider-Man. His secret's been revealed, and this vulnerable kid who'd gone through all of this shit. Now, what's going to happen to him? Not, there's a great big mad titan who wants to smash the yeah. world up. Yeah. It's this one kid who we really Consumed care about. Him, yeah. Yeah. What's going to happen to him? So they've taken it from the... Ma in, in the space of three months and two films, they've taken it from world ending to actual world ending to world ending for an individual. Yeah. And, and it's that... The, the, the magnitude of that writing and the ability of the writers and the directors and everything, all the people that are involved in making these films, to twist it on his head in, in the space of five hours I, is unbelievable. And I was going to say, I think virtually any other studio at the moment would be going how can we top this how can we make yeah. this bigger and better and the phrase jump in the shark would be used quite yes. easily wouldn't it so. they're literally going we got all the time in the world yeah. we could do, they could have five or six now standalone films if, if this was DCEU right oh. <laughs> we'd have had Professor X would have wheeled in at the yeah. end yeah. Yeah. because we got him now so we got to chuck him in and, we got to you need to see the Wolverine close yeah, to yeah, yeah, so, you know? yeah. you've had, you yeah. had easter eggs for easter eggs sake. and to parody a little bit what you just said there as well in terms of what he could do next he might not be saving the world next as a hero that we know he's it might go down the route of it's going to be a more personal story and he's going to be saving his family he's going to be saving Aunt yeah. May he's going to be worried about the smaller he's a, he's yeah. a local friendly local spider exactly. they, they establish mm. the multiverse the macroverse mm. they broaden the horizons for the whole franchise but then ultimately what's been proven time and time again sometimes when you've gone big less is more yeah, and this absolutely. is what they've done exactly. and this is the thing I mean the obvious thing we were all sort of like you know well, we've got multiverses now, so the X-Men are going to come into it. We've got multiverses yeah. now, so the Fantastic Four are going to come into it. We're, and it's we're like, not going to see those Fox characters for a long time. Do you know what? It wouldn't shock me if in like 12 months' time, there's a Fantastic Four movie being made now. Yeah. And like somewhere in the background of that film, we just went past, you know, yeah. Ben Grimm or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me, but by the same token, again, it wouldn't shock me if in 10 years' time, we were saying, when are they going to do that Fantastic Four mm -hmm. movie? Like, you know? <laughs> we opened up with how we, what we thought of the film and, you know, it's been overwhelmingly positive apart from one or two minor gripes what are our final scores and guys for Spider-Man Far From Home Rich I'll start with you a 9 out of 10 without a doubt I was floating between 9 and 10 but I've got to give it a 10 because this 10 is just perfect it's my favourite Spider-Man movie I was sat there for the most part and I was thinking how can I not justify giving this film a, 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 an easy high 9 and then that end credits with J. Jonah Jameson just completely flipped everything on his head and I thought 
how can I now not justify giving it a 10? Unfortunately, the second post credits, that may be resolved in future, and I have since thought of a few little problems I've got with the film personally. At the moment, I'm gonna give it a, a fully confident high nine out of 10. But then from a point of view of personal enjoyment, I fucking love the film, so I don't know. <laughs> it was so I don't know. I'm brave. Torn. It was I'm so torn. brave because what they how they handle it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go at the moment. I'm gonna try and be <laughs> sensible. I'm gonna give it a nine. You because our Toy Story scores were affected by the previous because of the standard that's set. So are you saying that that Spider-Man: Far From Home is Winter Soldier is Civil War is um, no, Infinity no, right. War and that's and that's how well, I'm down I down. I will to still stand by Spider-Man: Homecoming is. is a nine out of ten. I watched it a few times now and I absolutely love the film. This is easily as good, if not better, than Homecoming. So this gets a, a high nine. So I'll, I'll keep it as a nine out of ten. Yeah. I think it is as good. It, it sets up so much going yeah. forward for the character and the stories as well. Bizarrely, I prefer Homecoming. That's not bizarre at all. It's no, a great film. But I would score Homecoming a nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. This film is also a 9 out of 10. I don't know how that works, but it's a 9 out of 10. So there you go then, Neil. A, a 9 from you. That gives a film 89 verdict for Spider-Man Far From Home with a 9 out of 10. So I think uh, before we go, guys, uh, the young intern that has been uh, <laughs> looking after us whilst we record. Where's my coffee? Come, come here, boy. Come here. In many ways, the Peter to my Toby. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I thought that was me. <laughs> Just for our listeners, tell us who you are. Uh, hello, I am Zach Gaskin. And, uh, How old are you, Zach? Only 12, but I'm 12. still 13. So what we're going to do now, uh, listeners, because we're, we're, we're like sort of, um, as Bill Scott would put it, uh, mid 40s or approaching 40s uh, commergent <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to go to the youth of today and say Zach obviously you've you've listened to us recording you've seen both Toy Story 4 and Spider-Man Far From Home indeed what's your views on both those films Toy Story 4 I can understand where you guys come from saying like maybe you think it's a it's a film too far whereas personally I think there is that like thing of like having I feel like the end of Toy Story 3 was so good but there was also so much stuff you could have done and there was always that which is like what is kind of done for this film and there was always that bit of thinking like is it ever going to end and like and I feel like this now is the end and if they carry it on it's got to be like through these TV shows that you guys are on about through this Disney Plus slash Netflix type thing but one thing I do want to say is, Sky, your point about Forky just coming alive and that might be a bit weird, is person. I can understand where you're coming from, but personally, I would say, like when you're in primary school, or as they call it, preschool, you make these little things to be a toy. Yeah. So then, by that definition, if toys come alive, if you've made a toy, it's the same as manufacturing a toy. So yeah. it, and therefore- that makes perfect sense, Zach. I, I agree with that. Maybe I I got to the point the wrong way, and what I I, di- I don't want is I just don't want an explanation as to why these toys come alive. Yeah, and that kind of gives me an explanation. And sometimes I just don't want to know the little details about. I, I want it just to be a bit magical. See where I'm coming from? Yeah. Sometimes when you give people too much information, too much detail, I think you, you, you're making things too specific. Whereas I like to leave things to the imagination. But I, I agree yeah. with you. In your life, when you get older, you will meet certain women, and you will understand that sometimes the mystery is the attraction. <laughs> what about we're all far from home Zach what do you think right well far from home the obvious thing is the end credit scene of everyone finding out who Spider-Man is and Peter, and Peter which obviously as you guys have brilliantly stated like where does it go from here like now with all the college now we know he's going to have adult life and all that like what's going to happen overall it is absolutely amazing and 
the thing that you were talking about, Rich, with the um, Mysterio and his mind games, which I think is the best possible idea of what Scarecrow could have been from Batman. Yeah. I'm out of a job, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, I give Spider-Man Far From Home a 9 out of 10, and I would agree with Chris and give uh, Toy Story 4 an 8 out of 10. Excellent. Okay, are. thank I'm you, Sam. So, uh, thank you, everyone. Please... If you're enjoying this, recommend us to your friends and family or anyone who likes film and television. And thank you for, uh, you know, again, we're, we're just getting so much positive feedback and, and great numbers on, on the downloads and, and the like that we're just so grateful and we're, and we're glad that you guys and girls are enjoying us. So please um, get onto iTunes if uh, if you can or, or just hijack your mum's phone if she's got a, a, an Apple phone and just give us a you know a five-star review if you think we're, we're good enough because it'll do a hell of a lot for us it'll make us more visible on Apple the, the way the, the Apple podcast works must, is very strange there's a load of people who can do that instead. yeah just do it <laughs> we, we are finding out from a lot of people they again recommended to us from friends and you know that that's the, the best way we're going to grow from strength to strength unfortunately uh, phase one of the Film 89 podcast is going to be drawing to a close soon and we are going to be taking a bit of a hiatus for personal reasons and I'm not sure when we're going to be coming back we might have one episode left before that break we are going to come back, I assure you of that. Uh, but for now, if you want to check out our work, please, uh, the website, film89.co.uk, it has been a really busy couple of months for us. We've been, you know, myself and the rest of the guys have been kicking out a load of really good articles, which have been getting some fantastic feedback on Facebook and Twitter. So please check out the website. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Sky Movies. Uh, Rich, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Richard underscore Roberts. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for uh, taking your prize with both hands. You've been a fantastic guest, and uh, we've really enjoyed having you on. Where can people reach you if they want to, uh, you know, ask if we're really that much of a bunch of dickheads? <laughs> Just on Facebook, my name's Chris Bynan. That's um, B E Y N O N. B E Y N O N. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin, or you can find me on Facebook under an assumed name. But if you listen to one of the episodes, you might actually find out my pseudonym. I, I left it in there. Yeah, you left it in there. <laughs> I thought. You no, told you me to cut out. I told you to cut out. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I couldn't because it was. I think we'll have we'll have one more episode over the next couple of weeks before uh, the break, uh, which we don't know how long that's going to be. But hopefully, we're going to be back on the air soon. But until then, stay safe, stay happy, but most importantly, stay classy. And I love you three thousand. Yeah. <laughs> we're out of here. That was awesome.